Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 203rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the show that can't wait to leave a legacy of modern cards behind us. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what are we on about this week? This week, we've got a show in four parts. Segment one, our top movers, the cards we'll look at that have moved the most in price over the last week. Segment two, our cards to watch. A couple cards James and I think have a positive outlook. Segment three, our metagame week in review. We've got some pioneer and modern challenges to review from just yesterday. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week. We're joined by Dan Fournier to talk about Theros Beyond Death. Let's get started here at the bottom of segment one, our top movers, first card of the week, Goblin Rabblemaster shows up again after I think we just talked about him last week at some point or the week prior, definitely recently. Uh, foils out of M15, 13 to 20 for not a huge jump from that price, but still a nice little uh, a nice little gain. He was my pick a couple weeks ago, um, and he just con- the inventory continues to drain here as Pioneer has really started to find its footing. Uh, the ban list updates are no longer weekly, so it's it's really gotten a solid footing, and I think people are are starting to to buy in now. I mean, I think to be honest, the, the theory that people were not buying into Pioneer, um, I'm not sure I buy because there was a lot of sustained spike activity. So there was initial an initial wave of people buying into the format for sure, but. There almost certainly were also a group of people that were on the sidelines, either because with limited budget or alternate focus in terms of their most beloved formats, or for whatever other reason, wanted to see what would happen first. You know, and the, and the least number of relevant cards that were already in your collection, probably the the lower the allure of this ban, hammer swinging early version of the format, Wild West Pioneer. Um, you know, the lower the chance that you were attracted to that. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure I, I believe that the response to no weekly bans is really all that tremendous. We're not seeing a huge number of pioneer spikes last couple of weeks. There were certainly way more of them in October and November. Um, what we're seeing here, though, is a focus in recent weeks on Theros because that's the big deal right now. The hype cycle has shifted. And so most of the action the last couple of weeks has been people trying to figure out what are the best cards from this set. The real test will come during that tax refund season that usually represents the rebound period for MTG Finance, where people 
go out and buy a foil Gaia's Cradle or a Mox or, you know, buy into a deck that they've been thinking about for a while. And I'm very curious to see how sales uh, develop in February, March, and April. I, I mean, I suspect that there are people and a not irrelevant number of people who might have bought some Pioneer cards, saw <clears throat> major changes very fast, and gotten burned and let off the gas pedal a little bit, especially if their local area, if their local stores weren't hadn't really spun up pioneer events yet because I, I think that was kind of floating around and i mean i was talking to my friend here who plays very regularly and he's like yeah i built two pioneer decks and both of them were banned before i could play them um so it's not that nobody builds them but i wouldn't be surprised if there were people who definitely slowed down or didn't jump into the fray quite yet that are now seeing it as a more stable format that they don't feel like they're going to have a $300 purchase band before they get to put them in sleeves. Yeah. I mean, in theory it gets better and better. Right. But there's also this counter pressure of people. The more that people believe us and wizards that cards are in general, more pushed right now that stuff from war forward was very pushed on the design and development side. If you believe lots of push cards are coming, and you're worried the ban hammer is going to get swung again and again and again, then it's going to push you off not just Pioneer, but all formats. It's just going to push you off buying cards that are that look too good to be true. Um, <laughs> it's already going to be problematic to try to sell people, you know, loose collector boosters from Eldraine when the best card they could possibly get is, is now an Oko they can barely play anywhere. Um, and there's at least two or three different culprits in Theros that look like they could potentially catch a ban or end up getting some other card banned, um, since Wizards is prone to trying to avoid banning the newer card where they can. And I think that all of that is just going to be a cloud that hangs over the market for quite a lot of this year. And I'm hoping the ban hammer doesn't keep dropping, but I suspect that it will several times in 2020. Uh, well, that's almost guaranteed. Um, okay, second card for the week, Thassa's Oracle. Uh, brand new card, uh, Theros Beyond Death. Non-foils, 250 to 4, um, definitely ticking up there. This has been showing up in all sorts of deck lists. I know Yuza just wrote an article about how good Thassa is, and I think or- Thassa's Oracle was in almost every single one of those decks. This is basically a, uh, a rare omen seer for people who are around during the first theros in the sense that it's a two drop that you know plays a little defense gives you a little bit of visibility into some more cards um it doesn't it doesn't land quite as hard on turn two as omen speaker did but it only scales up from there to the point of it can actually just win you the game like literally win you the game late in the game um so i well yeah i was looking for hmm? this card is more about its combo potential right like yes it's a it's a decent um, uh, card selection mechanism. But what's driving the price here is that this is taking off in multiple formats as an instant win combo piece where you basically use things like Demonic Consultation um, to burn through your entire deck, deck yourself and win. Hmm. And, but- and you can do that with... People were talking about like this getting Flash banned in ED- CEDH um, because... 
the potential to just go off on the end of the opponent's turn and then just win out of nowhere, deck yourself and win, is what has people's attention. And there are at least three or four different interactions that can do that level of bustedness. So this is definitely on my like flagged as problematic list. This has got to be getting it from all sides because all of what you've just said is true. But like also this is I see this in standard lists and people are probably looking at this card and going, well, yeah, like Dasa does look good. Or I, you know, this is a card that I want to play in standard as a two drop because that's where it's going to be useful so it's really just i think a combination of like all of the above right like yeah everyone playing a format other than standard wants this for the second half of the card box and everyone playing standard wants it for the first half of the card box yeah so i'm, I'm curious to see what the impact of this mm-hmm. will look like as people refine lists that they've been testing this in but the few times i've seen it on stream so far it's looked very nasty indeed um, yeah i mean i don't doubt it Next on the list, uh, as a rare, if it holds up in multiple formats, it could hold four to eight, but a rare heading into peak supply is likely to move in the other direction more often than not. So if it doesn't take off hard in standard and only hits, like, sees occasional play in the other formats, then this should get cheap before you need to worry about buying any. Because when it first, I think people got $2 copies like $1.52 copies right when pre-orders were first going up. Those people can probably do fine here selling play sets into the hype cycle, but otherwise you probably want to be waiting to see if it retreats again. Yeah, this is probably pretty close to the to the roof at this I'm, point. I I haven't seen the def, the play pattern crystallize enough to be willing to get these at 4 hoping to go to 8 to 10. Yeah, me neither. All right, so next on the list, we got Angrath, Captain of Chaos, a pretty much forgotten Planeswalker from War of the Spark, home of excellent Planeswalkers. This is the Secret Layer version, which was, I think, only available in one of the Secret Layer sets, if I remember correctly, which would explain why there are basically none of these around, despite the presumably only real demand for it coming from collectors. Um, You know, Guys like my pops who want one of everything um, have probably snapped a good chunk of these up. And some of the people that bought the secret layers just kept them, just absorbed them into the, into their own collections and never to be seen from again. So is this really a $40 card? Was it even really a $25 card? I guess it is so long as there is less supply than there is people willing to pay the price in question. Um, not something I would want to have a huge stack of, but if I happen to have snapped this open in a secret layer, I'd certainly be looking to sell it now. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm looking at this and I just don't know who out there really wants to be playing this card. So, I, I mean, it's cool as a as a collector's item, but that's really all it's got going for it. So, I'm very and lukewarm Somehow on this. I'm doubting that the buy lists have caught up on this, but maybe I'm wrong. Let me just double check here. It looks like the secret layer version, you can get 15 for it on buy lists. Yeah, that's not which enough. is well. It's it's significantly less than than posted prices on TCG Player. But keep in mind that that the cost of that secret layer was either thirty or forty. I can't remember which. Um, if this gives you half of that value back, you're probably doing all right. Well, sure, sure. Although, 
Oh, you know, can that not be said of every stained glass walker that came out of those at this point? Most I, of them. I, I'm not surprisingly I so. Look, but I bet that's the case. Yeah, I mean, they've um, turned out well so far. So let's see which one we get right. in the rats if we get one. Right, right. Uh, Hacken, strong gold scourge. Foils out of cold snaps. My boy, I remember Hacken. Uh, three to 50. Um, honestly, kind of surprised the foils weren't already 50. And I know we've talked about Hacken before. Uh, Knights and EDH are seeing some play here, some popularity. Hakan is the guy that lets you cast knight cards out of your great yard so long as he's in play, which means you get to do fun stuff like cast crib swap and nameless inversion over and over and over again because he does not exile the cards that you cast from your graveyard. Um, supply is virtually nothing because he's from Cold Snap. So probably not a long line of people waiting to buy Hakan's, but if you have them, then... You're not going to see any more anytime soon. Well, one of the more built commanders, according to EDH Rec, in the last month was Sir Gwyn, Hero of Ashvale, um, which is a knight commander that can run Hacken. So I would imagine that it's the you know relatively modest community of Sir Gwyn players that are probably driving that. I'm pretty sure this is a bounce, too. Like, I, I think that when we found out that there was Knights in Eldraine, I probably snapped some of these foils off in Europe around this price. Fairly certain within about four to six weeks of that, I sold them for somewhere between 50 and 55. I would assume that TCG filled in with some cheaper copies that somebody was having trouble moving. They sold, and now we're back. It's demonstrating a rise, but it may have been more just a, a small bounce. Okay. Makes sense. I, th- I think it's, this is the kind of card where it's going to be tough for this to push, you know, 65, 75, 80, 100. The higher it gets in terms of its listed price, the less likely people are c- to consider purchasing it. It's just not that big a deal. So the the demand curve probably falls off pretty sharply as the price rises. Yeah, I mean, the guy building the Sir Gwyn deck, who's an uncommon, probably doesn't need to spend $100 on foil icons. Yeah. Not that big of a deal to him. So this other, this next card is another one from Theros that I think a lot of people have their eye on as being looking very, very busted. Underworld Breach is the, the new red enchantment that functions like a Yawgmoth's will, except you have to uh, exile, I think it's three cards, plus pay the casting cost of the the spell in question. Um, I saw a whole bunch of different lists in a bunch of different formats. Standard, Pioneer, Modern, Legacy. It looks crazy everywhere. It's super playable in EDH. This card probably ends up banned or gets something banned at some point. I, I'm i very reluctant to put money in on this card right now. Uh, I'm a little su- surprised that this is seen a price spike like this simply because i don't know people are buying so much of this but there's so many people that want copies of this that they're they're driving the price up when it's like not possibly not even playable in like i can see this in vintage and legacy maybe pioneer or maybe modern but like pioneer right now seems like it's kind of a stretch i don't know it just i'm a little surprised to see this on here to be honest, especially I, also I, I've like watched, with the ban. You, you got to catch up on the streams that have been like running some of the modern brews with this. They are devastatingly effective. Are they? Just, yeah. 
It's just all, all like right. blue and red cantrippy things, and then you go off like crazy, and some of them can use Thassa's Oracle to finish the game. So, <laughs> it, Underworld Breach isn't a question of like if, to me, it's a when. Like, I, I think this card is too pushed. It, it, it looks like a Urza Saga card to me. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the card, I, I, I don't know. I guess I'm just surprised that people are, like, that in on it that hard. But if people are playing it in stream on Modern, maybe that's what it's doing it. But, like, even still, there's so much of this out there right now with Theros being open. Like, are there that many people pre-ordering Underworld Breaches? Like, that's that's a little surprising, well, this, this too. Make, this makes sense, because we're recording this in the middle of the week in between the pre-release and the release. So people got really hyped about cards over the weekend. Uh, by all accounts, it was a very successful pre-release. Every vendor I talked to across the globe, uh, vendors in uh, North America, like Canada, the U.S., talked to a vendor in South America, talked to vendors in Japan, um, everybody said, great turnout. Um, anywhere from good to amazing. Uh, I played it face-to-face uh, on Friday night, and they were sold out like every flight. And so there's been a lot of hype around the set. Uh, and then the streamers got in on it early, testing Pioneer and Modern specifically. Um, with the Modern bands, they've you know that format is kind of rejuvenated, and there's a triple Pioneer GP at the end of the month, so people have to get ready for you know SEG tour stuff in Pioneer Modern. There's a team uh, open coming up, I think, where they have to play multi-format. So everybody had a lot of reason to be testing things, and every time I've seen this card on camera, it's just been doing nasty, nasty things. Well, so it makes sense that it's gotten up this high for now. Now, what is it, what is it going to do this weekend as people scramble to unload their copies? That's another question. You would expect it to reverse course unless it's pushed up, you know, starts top eighting regularly in both, you know, any of standard Pioneer and Modern. Yeah, I would imagine you'd have to see an insane play pattern for this card to hold a $9, an 8 or $9 price tag basically it's not going to happen unless it shows up in standard, which seems like a fairly remote possibility at this point in time. Standard plus one of the other ones that, yeah. or, or both pioneer and modern. I mean, once upon a time yeah. got banned in standard, right. But is still, and, and then got banned in pioneer, but during the interim where it was pioneer plus modern, um, you know, it was propped up for, for some period of time. Um, everybody was scrambling uh, around it and, and i think i interpret like underworld breach along as about the same kind of thing as once upon a time a rare of dubious power level that could easily get itself into trouble yeah yeah well it's certainly hard to strike to land anywhere other than irrelevant and busted yeah Next on the list, we've got Galta Primal Hunger. Hunger. This is the Game Night edition, uh, uh, ancillary product of which there are relatively few. Um, Galta has been on the move for a little while now. It's being played heavily in both EDH and in mono green decks, especially in Pioneer. Um, I called foils, I believe, pack foils a couple weeks back, or maybe it was the game day promo. Um, this is a non-foil version going 550 to 10. Um, I would expect that Given we've already seen multiple versions of it, it's probably safe from reprint for a while. And uh, I think these prices will, these plateaus are likely to retrace a bit, but otherwise hold. Yeah, and I don't see, yeah, I would agree with you. I think this was this was a solid pick at the time and uh, it's already, already doing work here. So 
any time that you get to pay two mana for 12-12 Trample, people are going to be interested in that type of action. Um, Ashiok Nightmare Muse out of Theros Beyond Death. Uh, Non-foils, 11 to 24. So a pretty big jump there. Um, looks like it's been doing pretty well in early standard testing here. This is the, the five mana, five loyalty one. He creates two, three tokens with his plus ability that exiles when he attacks. His minus uh, bounces a permanent to its owner's hand, and then they have to exile a card from their hand. Um, so uh, pretty, two pretty solid uh, loyalty abilities there. Five mana walkers, you know, four is considered to kind of be the magic number for walkers in standard. Um, has been for years, although War of the Spark may have upended that and made it three. Uh, so Ashiok at five is pretty high up the food chain. Um, maybe, uh, not- but you know, at, at $20, right? Like that's $24, supposedly that's real high for an untested standard planeswalker. I mean, even... Uh, Teferi Time Rambler is like right around that price, right? Some of our people were pre-ordering this like 8 to 12, and if you can set, flip your copies here at like 80 bucks a set or something, do it, do it, do it. Because, yeah, this could go to 40 or 45. Like, this this walker was underestimated as so many have been this year, um, and the play pattern is closer to like a Teferi Hero of Dominaria than it is to you know, Calyx. Um, the it's a plus ability that creates a 2-3. Whereas Gideon, ally of Zendikar, was a dominant planeswalker that had a 0 that made a 2-2. Two, two. And the 2-3 has additional upside because it can exile cards, and then once you get up to 7 loyalty, you can cast three, 3 cards from your opponent's exile zone without paying their mana cost. So I was pretty low on this card, but when I, once I saw it played, it, it started to click for me. Like... On curve in Esper or blue-black control, it just does the things you want to be doing at the time that you want to be doing them. It presents that high loyalty count that makes the aggro decks decide which way they want to focus their attention and can put a blocker on the table to slow you know, aggro mid-range decks down, force them to deal with stuff. And if they get something really nasty on the table, you can just bounce it and then keep rolling. And along with all your other interactive spells, especially in the blue-black builds, did a lot of work so at, if it was currently at 10 given the play pattern i'd seen i'd be feeling pretty good about it maybe to go to 20 since it's already representing mid-20s and we, we have not headed in haven't hit release weekend yet this is a sell for sure yeah totally agree might be good like enough. even if it goes to 40 no. the right call will still sell right yeah yeah for sure um nightmare shepherd also from theros going from two to five uh also looking like it's pr- might be pretty passable and standard this is a four mana four four flyer um whenever a non-token creature you control dies you can exile it and then you get a one one copy of that creature so a, a very fascinating card uh, might end up having playing eh2 based on its unique and fun ability uh, but I mean, a four mana four four flyer is is like not terrible. That's certainly playable enough. Uh, oh, it's like really good in Yarok, right? Because you're doubling up on comes into play triggers, so you get it twice on the way in. Then when the creature dies, you get the token and get it twice again. Yeah, which seems. I mean, if you have like a murderous, what is it, chupacabra or ravenous chupacabra or whatever, is that still in standard? All, like, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Well, oh, it's not God, in standard anymore, but yeah. 
It did really, yeah, okay. I know that it had been reprinted. I just wasn't sure if it had left or not. But that's uh, that type of thing is just some some real gross value real fast. Now, of course, that requires having Yarok and Nightmare Shepherd and then playing these creatures. But even still, it does a lot for you. I had Shepherd in my pool at the pre-release. It did work, even in limited. Um, it's also just a 4-4 flyer for 4. So the rate is already yeah. solid. It's probably good um, enough I, for sealed. <laughs> I, I I think I'm pretty confident it's going to be a four of in at least one standard shell based on the streaming I've been watching. Um, but two to five, this is exactly the kind of rare I expect to get pressured back down under four. Be sitting at three fifty, then three twenty five, then three dollars, and you just never you're not going to get a chance to buy list out of these soon enough. Now, if it still is relevant in the fall, then your buy list opportunity might come. If it is ultra dominant and standard you might get it sooner like say like around the time of icoria but it it unless you like pre-order these at a dollar i don't think your exit is going to be very secure no i'd be amazed if this held the price tag at all i mean all these cards are expected to crash because we're hitting we're about to hit peak supply this weekend and then on top of that uh, well, the card is fine. It also seems like it would be kind of a weird standard if this was really part of a tier one strategy. So a fun blip on the radar here, but ultimately I don't think this is too meaningful. Well, keep in mind, there is still a black, red, and Jund sacrifice deck running around. And this does lots of nasty things in that deck. So it, I'm not going to be surprised that this is a standard staple. I will be surprised if it is... Uh, more than a role player in one particular archetype. And I don't think that's where necessarily where you want to be. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like it can be a role player and a standard one standard archetype, but like that doesn't get the price tag out of like no. 80 cents range. Well, it can be a steady two to $3 the for sure. But again, like, are you going to get the chance to buy list out of them? Because I don't want to sell $8, $8 play sets of anything. Um, if you can sell your $16 play sets right now, do it if you've got a stack of dollar cards or you trade it into some of these at your pre-release or whatever um it's just one trick pony rares uh is not where you want to be now the foils of this or the extended arts of this long long term like say two to three years for edh might be more interesting talk to me talk to me down the road about that but this is the kind of card that i it just isn't it fits in a bunch of different decks in edh which is the thing i would be most interested in in it for but it's not super flashy. I think it's easily forgettable, and I worry about hype cycles rotating quickly. It's very cute, but yeah, I would need to know if how much EDH was really taking to the card or not. Because mm-hmm. it, se- it seems quite fun and interesting, but maybe the format just sort of passes it by and leaves the extended arts stranded. All right, what's next on the list? Following that is Demonic Consultation, an Ice Age card. We don't get to talk about that set very often. Uh, Demonic Consultation is a... Let me see if I can get the rule Oracle text for you. It is... you immediate, It's one mana instant. You immediately exile the top six cards of your library, and then you keep exiling until you find a card that you've chosen, like you've named a card. Um, and that card goes into your hand, and the rest go into the graveyard. Or, I'm sorry, are exiled... So uh, prices here are six to fifteen. I'm assuming you name Thassa's Oracle with demonic consultation, so that 
you exile your entire deck and then you cast Thassa's Oracle and or you name no card, I should say. Yeah. Uh, and that's, then you cast the Thassa's Oracle and you win immediately. So fun little combo card. I mean, that's only legal in EDH, Legacy, and Vintage. Uh, so this seems like people probably trying to get on the Demonic Consultation train before the masses move to build the deck. I'm gonna have to go see if I have any of these. I've got to have Demonic Consultation. I'm sure I have a couple box. of these sitting around. The this is such a this is exactly the kind of like po- like toxic straightforward combo that nobody likes to lose the game to, and that I don't like to invest into. Like, I like EDH specs that are ubiquitous. Everybody wants to play the card, but it doesn't just win the game outright. Or if it does, it requires a whole bunch of hoops to be jumped through. So people feel like a thing happened and then they lost. If the thing that happened is a somebody tapped for one black mana and then they just died, people will be much less amused to have to shuffle up again. Yeah, this is miserable in EDH. The only, I mean, maybe in heads up EDH, but it seems like... I mean, I don't know how they manage their ban list, but that doesn't seem too healthy to me that you can win on turn two. That's pretty gross. Yeah. So mm. th- these are Ice Age, and I don't think they've ever been reprinted. So expect the, re- it to hold... printed on Moto. <laughs> yeah, I mean, expect it to hold some form of a bump. But I also think there's, you know, there's copies of this sitting around in binders galore. So I would expect oh, the market yeah. to be able to to fill backfill some of this demand if it even lasts. I don't think I knew that this was ex- as expensive as it is. Uh, frankly, I would have sold these at six bucks had I realized that they were that much. I'm gonna have to go look so, at these later. This next one is one of the only cards I got in on relatively early. Uh, Thassa Deep Dwelling is the blue god out of Theros Beyond Death. Um, copies were available in Europe under 10 bucks, and it started... People kind of overlooked it. We didn't really think much of it when we talked about it with Alexis last week. Um, but it turns out that blinking creatures every turn and getting to do it right after you play this is pretty good. And especially when the things you might be blinking are things like Thassa's Oracle that have pips on them that have comes into play abilities. Um, so you're, you know, you're building your loyalty, Thassa might be able to attack soon, or you can go more combo route and do nasty things. It's certainly an EDH playable. Um, can it hold 20 bucks? I don't know. If I've seen at least four or five different standard shells proposed and, and run on stream that were making use of the full four copies and people seemed very happy with them in those lists. So if it's, it's, if it, survives in two or three of those shells and starts constituting two or three decks out of every top eight for standard then it can hold 20 i mean it might get pushed down to 16 or something but it can yeah hold this it. is certainly yeah, yeah certainly potentially the banner mythic of the set um at least in terms of playability uh it could be multi multi staple multi-format or i should say multi-deck staple um you know, there might be a, a mono blue build. There might be a, a twist on a mono blue build that doesn't plan on activating her very often, but leans heavily or more heavily on the um, the bounce ability. Uh, certainly, 
you know, it could be a big card of the format, and I think it could stick at fifteen to twenty dollars. Uh, that said, I'm still happy to sell at twenty dollars right now while people are looking to get their hands on any. But of course, you know, at any time we have a new set release, I'm pretty much selling every one of these cards I happen to have available to me because for every one that goes up, you've got forty nine that go down. So you're better off just playing the odds and selling everything unless you have some amazing insight into the card that we're missing. Like you ground a bunch of games with it and realize it's even more busted than people realize or something. There's almost almost never more than one thirty dollar plus mythic that can hold through peak supply. So is it Uro? Is it Thassa? Remains to be seen. But again, as you said, you just want to sell when the, while the selling is good. Um, it's entirely possible that the format wants very specific things and it just falls out. Um, but time will tell. Uh, people that were in early, you've you've got your off ramp. Take it. If you weren't, ignore the card because you don't want to even worry about it till it drops significantly. Yep. Agreed. Tell us about this next one, because this is an odd card. Retrofitter Foundry was a card that I have been credited with mentioning like 14 months ago or something, as something that was likely to make us money. It wasn't a cast pick. I double-checked. It was One of our members said I mentioned it on Twitter at some point, but I couldn't track down the tweet either in the brief moments that I was looking for it. So I'm sure I said it in passing, maybe in response to somebody else's post a while back. Um, the premise being that it looked like because it was a commander-only printing and it was a rare, that it should eventually buy list for money. And I think that when I was talking about it originally, it was like a buck. Now it's at like 12, 14, 16 or whatever because that natural drain that happens to commander printings, commander-only printings, in this case, one from Commander 2018. Now we're in 2020. It's had like a year and a half to drain out of the market. And there's no real easy uh, source of resupply until an eventual reprint. Combined with, it's a four of in a legacy deck. I'm sorry, did you say it's a four of in a legacy deck? Indeed. <laughs> uh, I can't remember. Is it a ninja deck? I'm double checking now. So this ultimately, this is it eats a thopter and makes a four four construct and you can pay three to untap it so essentially for for every three mana if you have an infinite stream of thopters and an infinite mana you have infinite four fours i don't know what hmm. yeah it's i was right it's the ninja's deck because basically in yuriko it's creating a constant stream of stuff that can turn into other ninjas right the ninja deck wants to jump ninjas out of its hand into play while and replace attackers and this thing allows you to have a constant stream so they run four Retrofitter Foundry, and then they have Ingenious Infiltrator, Yuriko the Tiger Shadow, Brazen Borrower, Baleful Strix, Changeling Outcast, and Ornithopter. Um, so ninjas from Modern Horizons getting there in Legacy, go figure. Huh. Okay. So sure. This is it. 5-1 a <laughs> Legacy Challenge on January 12th. Okay. Well, props to you for getting Yuriko there. And retrofitter foundry apparently. Um, so I, I got to check because I don't know if I actually bought any of these when I was talking about them, and if I did buy them, I'm not sure that I haven't already buy listed them for like a triple or a quad or something. 
which I would have been quite pleased with. <laughs> the fact that they're up over 10 is just insane. Um, and also yeah, underscores that be, now uh... that also underscores that now that we're facing commander decks twice a year, this cycle of the commander only printings uh, taking off and ending up solid buy list plays, especially if you're sourcing them from Europe, et cetera, um, is only going to be exacerbated, right? Because you, you're not going to have reprints of the commander decks when they're coming out every six months the way that you could have if they only came out in the fall. Yeah, the having the two commander decks every year certainly... It's going to make it a lot easier for stuff like Retrofitter Foundry to sort of fall through the cracks and then poke its head out two years later and be like, hey, remember me? I'm $11, $12. So um, I, I huh. like this next one. Elvish Mystic Foils from M14 have gone from, say, $3 to $10 plus. It says twelve fifty here. Call it a 250% gain. Um, get to run a lot of mana elves in Pioneer. People are starting to foil out even commons in cards that they trust will survive in the format. I've got a bunch of Japanese foils that I bought cheap that I would love to sell into this trend line, so I should probably get those up for sale and see if somebody will bite. Uh, which is funny because I'm not entirely sure that Elvish Mystic will survive, but regardless, uh, I'm not surprised to see $10 foil Elvish Mystics. Mm, it's certainly... Without looking, uh, I would say probably a top five, top ten pioneer creature, doing a lot of work in the format, no doubt there, and probably continues to do so until the uh, the removal gets more efficient, which I expect it will. Like we haven't seen pushed removal lately, but that doesn't mean that will stay the case. They don't push removal very often. The last one being fatal push, um, which was a few years back, but. When they decide to do it, they push it. And Pioneer have... will eventually grow up into a big boy format, big girl format, with removal that is closer to what you see in modern. You'd have to see the for the removal outpace the rest of like outpace the other card categories. Because I mean in modern you still see Birds of Paradise and Noble Hierarch regularly. Of course, those are modern staples. So you can still play modern dorks even amidst a suite of uh, high-octane removal. So really, it'd have to be like, well, we have like forked bull quality removal, but like our dorks and like our three modern creatures aren't good enough to put up with having to deal with this. Um, so I guess my point is that Mystic seems like it could definitely be around for a while. Uh even with better removal. Well, my, my point is that because better removal will be forthcoming, there will be, I don't think it will ever be in the discussion for banning. Uh, mm. Despite people knowing that the mana elves have enabled shenanigans so far in Pioneer, <coughs> the format will eventually sort that out. Probably. Probably. I mean, I'm not saying, like, I think Mystic's going to get banned, but, you know, if you ask me to write up a list of the 15 cards that I think work most dangerous it'd probably be in there this and land war elves so i'm pleased with is that it. one legal and pioneer yeah it is isn't yeah. it oh dominaria that's where they put it yeah land war elves is in dominaria yeah and m19 so sorry go ahead this final one dream trawler non-foils going a dollar to five dollars this is on the back of people looking at this assuming it was bad as many sphinxes have been 
in recent years. And then I remember putting up my hand and being in our Discord and being like, you know what? This looks a lot like Ojitai. And I was just casting that in Pioneer and being happy about it. And if my deck wasn't built around dragons, I'm pretty sure I want this instead. So if it's good enough for Pioneer, which it may or may not be, depending on where that format heads, it could be good enough for standard. And sure enough, it actually does tremendous amounts of work. I was watching people stream with this card the other night, and after people had played against it a few, like for a few hours, they seemed more than willing to concede when this was on the board and the control player was facing down an empty board. <laughs> like if they stabilized and dropped this, people were just were just bailing on the game. Uh hmm. Yeah, I I definitely kind of dismissed this at first glance. I mean, I, I recognized that it was interesting. I guess I didn't really think of it as being too relevant. I suppose the the lifelink is significant because you're going I would imagine you put the game away so fast. Like you, you get out of reach of your opponent winning very quickly. The the biggest deal uh, the biggest now, deal with this card is that you can whereas with Ojatai, he was hexproof until he attacked, and then you were exposed on the attack, and the control player could w- wait for you to walk into that. This one allows you to do whatever you're gonna do, and all you gotta do is have one card in hand to discard and you can save it. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a lot of cards in hand, then you got lots of opportunities to save it. And if you're in a deck, as you are prone to be in blue, that likes to draw cards, then this thing gets bigger on the attack, gains you more life, outpaces the aggro that's trying to put you asleep, and every time it attacks, it draws another card, which allows you to keep defending it, and it just basically sets up a paradigm where if they don't have the right solution pretty much right away, you're, you've taken over the game. It does seem like if you have any amount of card draw, it's going to be virtually impossible to kill this thing. And even if you're able to point enough removal at it that they're constantly forced to discard cards to keep it hexproof, it's drawing an amazing amount of disc, a, a ton of removal out of you just trying to keep it tapped down. Well, and like, which means and likewise, if you need else. to shatter the sky into this thing or whatever, you can you can draw a card if you. <laughs> if you've already drawn a card that turn it's going to be a four or five so you can make sure that even in bad situations you're still coming out just fine um mm. so again this is this one is kind of like nightmare shepherd i think it's a, a better card overall um i worry that i think that people that got in real early like uh david charman on our team was saying he got copy sub a dollar so i think he's got you know his exits lined up he can sell some play sets locally and be cleanly out like up ten dollars a playset or whatever um i wouldn't want to hold it because it's not a like it, it may end up in just one shell as a two or a three of it could be in multiple shells um as a four of but we i've seen a lot of lists let's put it this way this is looking like a very diverse standard so i don't feel confident saying what is going to be on top still seems like the sacrifice deck is probably going to top eight a lot still seems like Decks that are using Euro and Hydroid Crassus and Nissa are likely to be top eighting a lot. Those decks have a lot of hot, like a very high inherent power level. Blue Black, Esper Control lists, some of them running Dream Trawler, probably going to be in the mix there. But I don't know if I feel confident in this being more than one of the the decks in a given top eight. And that makes me just want to be sell, sell, selling. 
Yeah, and I mean, I come back to my, it's a new set, they're new cards, everything is what price way higher than it has any reasonable hope of being. So just sell anything you happen to have and accept that, accept it that some of them may end up higher in price, but don't worry about it because you still made the right choice overall. Yep. Um, Agreed. So. All right, so let's move on to segment two cards to watch. We've got a pretty solid assortment of uh, options here this week. This first one uh, deserves a caveat because when I first put it on this list a couple days ago, inventory was deeper. Now it's getting pretty thin pickings online for this card under $12. Uh, By the time, you know, our non-Pro Trader members hear this, they may have trouble tracking them down. But it occurs to me that it's the kind of card you might be able to just stroll into your LGS the day that you hear this and pick up a handful of at an old price because they were buy box promos. And the card I'm talking about is Sylvan Caryatid. Um, it shows up in both Niv to Light decks in Pioneer and Modern, I believe, or at least Pioneer. I can't remember if the Modern uh, lists need it. Um, but it's also showing up in uh, Jeskai Ascendancy brews for Pioneer, and also shows up in Jeskai Ascendancy in Modern, depending on how they're constructed. And it's just generally a good and popular uh, mana creature because it has Hexproof. So the hasn't seen a reprint since original Theros. Um, the buy box promo was weighing it down, but it arguably has better art. Um, you can find those babs around somewhere in the eight to twelve dollar range, depending on where you're buying them this week. And if you're so luck, you know, lucky enough to track a handful of them down, go ahead and snap them up because I have a feeling this is going to get to probably at least sixteen, and it could be eighteen to twenty. Um, Niv to light seems to be, I would say, is the the, the biggest driving force and has been very consistent across pioneer and modern it's been top aiding for a year now feels like uh, basically i guess since war of the sparks so not quite a year but eight months or so um and i don't think it's going anywhere uh i had the fortune to open a foil japanese uh niv mizzet reborn last night out of a war of the spark box and i will definitely be holding instead of selling uh, looking to get a little more value out of it. That's a nice little pickup there. <laughs> I, I didn't. I opened four um, boxes this weekend. I didn't open. Two, I would open two boxes that were on paper about what I paid for them, like just over a hundred or whatever. Um, where which in real terms means you've got about sixty-five or seventy probably after you account for fees and time spent to get rid of them. The other two right. were well over one hundred and sixty dollars. Like yeah. one of them, one of them was foil Nib Mizzet, foil Ashiok, uh, foil Dovin's Veto, all Japanese. Um, and then because you get those anime planeswalkers in eighteen of your packs, it's pretty hard to go wrong because you you open an Ashiok altar, you open a a Narset. I got a couple of the Teferis, some Karns, some Nissas. And those are all five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollar cards. So uh, they're tremendous boxes. It's wrong to open them. You should you should be holding them sealed. Let live vicariously through my foolishness and just hold yours until they're two hundred dollars. Because I feel strongly that the market is going to hollow out on that fantastic set. Um, given that most of what I can see on eBay now, in terms of who's still selling these boxes, is coming from japan again whereas for a while there was an influx of product in north america that seems to have drained out so that says to me that these boxes could push 150 within the year 
Okay. Um, good to know. I uh, I did not. I don't think I have any of these stashed. Um, in any case, Sylvan Carrington is a great card. Uh, I actually went and picked my two cards this week and then opened up the spreadsheet to write them down. And lo and behold, one of them was Sylvan Carrington and you already had written it down. So... Uh, I had I had independently arrived at this pick this week uh, with the again with the same caveat that supply was already quite low when I was writing it down. Uh, so you know if you can find them for a good price, yeah, I'm I'm on, I'm on board here because those are uh, are looking quite good. All right, how about your first pick this week? Yeah, I'm getting started with Sepulchral 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 Primordial. This is Sepulchral? the uh, the bl- Sepulchral. The uh, the black what is this a titan a giant uh, primordial avatar the black well creature type avatar from gate crash seven mana five four intimidate uh, when it enters the battlefield for each opponent you can put up to one target creature from that player's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control so it reanimates a creature out of each opponent's graveyard it's from the sylvan primordial line of creatures. Um, the foils are floating around 750 right now. Uh, he's in about a little over 7,000 EDH rec decks, which is fine. Um, supply is getting on, is, you know, is on the lower side. But what really does it for me here is that uh, the new Athreos is, you know, I think Spokal Primordial is going to be a big part, um, a common part of the new Athreos decks. And, you know, we have, we know that, uh, we're getting a new slew of commanders here um, out of Theros. It's been a little while since we've had new commanders, actually. It feels like it's been like a, probably, you know, really since Thero, uh, Throne of Eldraine. So I think people are kind of hungry for some new blood. Um, they're going to go build Athreos. Sepulchral Primordial is going to be in that deck, and you're not going to have to see that many foils go into the deck in order to, to move the needle on this. So you get in at 750 or so, you're probably getting out somewhere between 15 and 20, maybe 18 bucks. Buy it. Buy list might be twelve or thirteen, uh, so I'm 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 pretty happy with uh, with this guy here. I think I would be surprised if you missed. I'm not convinced Athreos is going to be a big mover for EDH, but if you're right, I could easily see you know a few YouTube videos that mention the primordial moving the needle because the inventory is just so so shallow and backup plan if Athreos does move the needle much as you said it's already a very popular EDH card just in general and tends to and has synergy with a whole bunch of other commanders um so it's just a great card generally speaking and so long as it dodges a reprint this year it should be foil should be good to go yeah um what's next for us this next one I'm only given a seven so it's presented as a discussion point because as I've been saying in recent weeks, I'm not convinced that Modern is going to be mo- able to move the needle as often as it once did on card spikes. And we did see some counterplay to that in the form of the Yogmoth deck moving Yogmoth Thran Physician a couple weeks back. Um, and this could be a similar situation. Ranger Captain of Eos is proposed as a four of in the Heliod, the best versions of the Heliod combo decks in Modern. Um it both has two pips to allow Heliod to attack if necessary, 
And as you're assembling the combo or preparing to put it into action where you're going to use a usually a spike feeder to get infinite life or a walking ballista to do infinite damage with Heliod, um, the ranger captain can protect your team for the turn to make sure that only a very narrow band of shenanigans can interfere with your game plan. Um, it's relevant because Ranger Captain at one point was pushing 15 or 20 on Modern Horizons hype. And with the announcement of Pioneer, a lot of Modern Horizons cards stumbled, including this getting down to like, depending on where you're buying it, you could get these as low as $5, I would guess, on like Facebook, empty, like sick deals or something. Um, posted prices are somewhere between 6 and 7 if Modern is rejuvenated and if Modern starts moving the needle and if Heliod combo is sustainable, then I could see Ranger Captain going from 7 to, say, 12 to 16 in a hurry. Um, it's a mythic, so it's the same rarity as Yawgmoth. It, in theory, has the same potential to get up over 20, but it needs a couple of things to line up for that to happen. So I don't think this is a card you run out and load up on tonight when you hear this. This is a card that you have in a cart ready to go or on your short list of cards you're watching i mean this is called cards to watch not cards to buy um mm -hmm. so that if the the situation develops you're ready to rock because if it, it this is a, a top eight like some camera time a deck tech on an scg tour or something could start to move the needle here this is a definitely legitimate card um, I love it in the Heliod combo because not only do you get to tutor for your, uh, what is it, your walking ballista, but you also get to lock your opponent out of reacting to it. Um, the price is right. The inclusion in the archetype is right. I still remain very cautious regarding modern specs. Um, that's come up as a topic the last you know two weeks or so. My, my point in short is I believe that it is possible some cards will move needles. I am not interested in being somebody who rides that. Who's, who's, I don't want to live dangerously enough to be part of that. Um, but I respect that it's powerful, a, a possibility. And if something is going to be a part of that, I think Ranger Captain is certainly a, a strong candidate to be another modern mover with uh, the new Hilliard for sure. One of the problems here is that it's a one-trick pony. It's not important in any other format, really. Like, maybe... I don't know if Legacy Maverick ever runs these, but certainly can't be played in Pioneer. It's not legal there. It certainly can't be played in Standard. And in Commander, it's kind of a non-entity. So it really has to be, you know, modern movement, and you have to believe that modern is going to move these cards in particular. In which case, this is one of the stumble, like stumbling blocks for the deck that is therefore likely to accelerate if it gets some focus. Yes. Yeah. That's a concern too, I suppose. Um, and you know, if my, if pioneer didn't exist, I would be pretty, pretty bullish on Ranger captain, but uh, pioneer kind of takes some of the, some of the gas out of that particular f gas tank. All right. What about um, your next pick? Yeah, my next choice here is uh, the Great Henge. I'm looking at the Extended Art Non-Foils. Uh, Great Henge, for those of you unfamiliar, is the Big Green Mythic from Throne of Eldraine. 
Um, you tap when you tap it, it adds two green and two life, and it puts counters on creatures, and you draw a card. Um, and it costs nine mana, but it gets cheaper uh, based on the biggest creature you have. So it does a lot, costs a lot, can get costed cheaper. Um, you can get the extended arts right now for twenty five bucks. Uh, and looking at TCG player, you can buy probably uh, six, ten. Uh, I would say roughly less than 20 of these. Um, and now the price is no longer 25, it's 30. And then there's like two or, you know, like, I don't know, two play sets and the price is 35. Um, it kind of goes from there uh, pretty quick. With a total of 55 vendors, including the foils, I definitely like the Great Henge on a long time frame. Um, it's already at over 3,000 decks in EDH rack, and it makes it one of the most popular cards from Throne of Eldraine. Uh, and we're seeing it be played in Pioneer, in fact. It has seen some competitive uh, play as well. The Extended Art non-foils are a good cross-section because they're going to hit competitive players who want cool cards that don't want to pay... A, don't want to pay $200 for foils, and B... Uh, you don't want to play with foils because they play competitively and also hits your commander players who want a cool card but also don't want to pay $200 for foils. So I think you can get in at 25 and I think it probably won't be too long before you're seeing $40 on these. We could see it it might make it to 50 in a, in a very in a reasonable time frame, reasonable being like six-ish months. Um, I think 40 is very plausible in that time frame. You could probably... On a long enough time frame, these are like 60 bucks, but I don't know if that's this calendar year. Uh, but in any case, I think the card is going to keep getting played in Commander, keep showing up occasionally in Pioneer, um, and we know that we're not really getting any more of these. I think mono green Pioneer lists that have been doing well in events recently have been running two copies of these, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and I may even have seen this show up in some modern lists. I have to double check. Um, but certainly if, if we're talking about it on a long-term horizon and we're looking at it from the perspective of we are definitely past peak supply for Throne of Eldraine collector booster exclusives, which is what this is, um, you know, from a collector's perspective, there's no reason to hold off. Like, I don't think they're going to get any cheaper. The ramp is steep. 25 to 40 seems very likely to occur. Um whether that is your your best spec option versus something else you might be able to double up on or not, I'm not sure. But I like these, if you're a collector slash speculator, player slash speculator, I like the idea that you can like snap off your copy now, throw it into an EDH deck, and then revisit every six months to see if you're supposed to be flipping it out because it's ridiculously expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of sit on them have it for yourself and then maybe you get paid off eventually down the road that could work um like oh time to sell my personal copy yeah so i like him all right what do you got next for us so my next one is probably the one i feel strongest about this week castle Lockthwain. i talked about extended art several weeks back i can't remember if they were the foils or the non-foils and i was taking another look at these this week and i really like just the basic pack castle Lockthwain. Now, I got my initial brick of like 50 or 100 of these for a dollar or a dollar 25 or something. So the way that this came up was I was looking to buy list them and I could already get 475 credit from CK on these, which is in almost every other, you know, 
point in this conversation where we've been talking about, you know, don't get greedy, take your double ups. Our advice is get out. But with this card, if it can, if it can hold a almost $5 buy list during peak supply, and we believe that mono black decks will continue to be a force in pioneer. And this is going to continue to see play in standard for another year and a half. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fade out till the fall of 2021. Right. So I think Lockwain could be up over $10 by next fall. Pretty decent chance. Um, if you've got a really important four-of-card multi-format play, it also sees EDH play. It's already in like 2,300 decks reported on, on EDH rec, which means tens of thousands of players are playing with it. Um, and it's not locked into any one particular synergy. It's just a good mid-to-late game card that can either drive things home for aggro or just draw you cards when you need them. Um, and has very limited downside in the mana bases that it's placed within have every reason to believe that this card is just going to get there, get there. This card was good when we were talking about it before. And now with EDH, sh- or, uh, I'm sorry, Pioneer showing that Mono Black is sticking around and lasting beyond just the Smuggler's Copter's Smuggler's days. Copter. And pl- make, yeah. yeah, and making heavy use of this. And you know it's it's still keeping up in that format and seeing good play in standard, um, you know does well in EDH too. It's you know the supply is pretty deep, but that's a lot of demand, and it's only go, it's you know the demand is the demand can stay steady and the supply is only going to get shorter. So I definitely suspect that you know eight dollars is very viable because we said this rotates what in the fall of 2022 right next year no 2021 so it does rotate or i'm sorry yes it's 2021 but this is 2020 so it's it's not even this year this calendar year that it rotates which means that come october of this year this card is now part of the old guard and that tent you know the throne of eldraine cards will do well this October in 10 months from now. Um, So that would be kind of where I'd be looking to get out. But yeah, I suspect that this has got a lot of the, a lot of the pieces in place to kind of, to do well at that point in time. I think if buy lists get up to six or seven, I'll send most of mine in and maybe hold back a couple of play sets to try to sell at full retail at whatever point I think is their max. In, in theory, it's, Zendikar that I around the Zendikar pre-order season or shortly thereafter that I'd be looking to max on this but I might get an exit sooner um if you look at the graph for it the price in this card went up as peak supply went up and that is very rare indeed hmm do they uh that was right around Pioneer getting very popular, right? Yes. I mean, Mono Black was doing very well right out of the gate So in Pioneer. Copter gets banned. People assume Black is dead. We talked about, is it, isn't it? Turns out it's not. It still has two different versions. And sees play in other decks that run Black and Pioneer. It's in like four or five different shells, at least, that could win an event. Uh, shows up sometimes in Green, Black, Rock, in Modern. And again, you see it, you see it on EDH Rec. So um, I like this one a lot. Uh, I think it's the card... 
a card people want to own. Castle Garenbrig is also on that list, not that far behind. Vantress also, same kind of boat. Um, but maybe we'll talk about them another day. Yeah, I was thinking about talking about Vantress today. I didn't, but it's I, I think that you could talk about that as well. But um, my last pick for the week is my most speculative of the group, I would say. Uh, Minion Reflector. Uh, non-foils from Alara, I believe, currently at about $1.50 or so. Minion Reflector, for those of you who aren't uh, intimately versed with your Shards of Alara rares, is a 5-mon artifact that uh, whenever a non-token creature comes into play under your control, you can pay 2, and if you do, you get a token that's a copy of it that you then have to sack. Um, so it makes for two mana, it makes temporary copies of creatures you put in the play. Well, why is this suddenly relevant? Well, we have the new Perforos, who is sneak attack on a commander. Um, he only makes red creatures and artifact creatures, but both of those, there's still some good options in there. Um, I think Perforos will probably be one of the more popular commanders coming out of Theros. He won't be the most popular because he's mono color. Um, but then again, Theros, uh, doesn't have a lot of multicolored commanders. I don't think, uh, you have that one uncommon chick, but I, I don't see her holding the top spot. So he could end up being pretty popular, uh, especially as a, again, a sneak attack on a stick. People like sneak attack, but minion reflector is going to work well with Perforos because you're going to pay three to put your big fat red or artifact creature into play. And then you're just going to pay two more and get a second copy of it. Um, which is, which is always a good time. So with prices as low as they are from Alara, an old set at this point, with no reprints, I think that it's not unreasonable that this could jump from $1.50 to like four or five bucks. Now there's a good amount of copies, but the ramp from $1.50 to four and five already is not that is not that long. So I, I'm not scared off by the total number of copies in the market because the jump from $1.50 to four is actually relatively short. So um, definitely more speculative, uh, but I think it's worth keeping an eye on um, because I think if Perforo sees any play at all, this will be, will be along for the ride. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I don't have tremendous faith in this pick until I see Perforos definitely moving the needle. And people, I want to, what I want to see is Command Zone talk about this card alongside Perforos, and then I'll see what I can get them for. Um, I feel pretty similarly about this last pick, which I'm not even really going to call a pick so much as a card to take note of. Uh, Sahili Rai was written up on Star City Today by Ben Friedman. The title of the article was that Sahili Combo was the best deck in Modern. I suspect that that is hyperbole. Um as content creators tend to embrace these days. But important to remember that Sahili Rai cat combo was banned in Pioneer, but not in Modern. And it's still a real thing. And they have a whole bunch of tools to work with, like Teferi, Time Raveler, etc. So after it got banned in Pioneer, Sahili Rai dropped down to $2.50 for a single printing mythic that could be a four of that could win tournaments in Modern. This is not a card I think you want to go load up on right now and get burned again if you didn't get out of yours early enough uh, in the Pioneer cycle earlier in the fall. But at $2.50, if this gets some camera time or top eight, something of significance, it could easily be a $10 card again in a heartbeat. So 
I just want to be aware of what's going on with this deck and keep keep tabs on it and be ready to pull the trigger on a $2.50 mythic <clears throat> if and when it seems like the timing is right. Yeah, I could buy the setup for this here. I'm still on the boat of not being super wild about buying modern cards. But if if you're going to buy a modern card, it, I think you could do a lot worse than this. That's for sure. 250 Mythics, Mythics that are $2.50 that are this well positioned in a format is certainly tempting. There's no question about that. I mean, the current builds look pretty fun. And again, the cat has been banned in two different formats now. The, the combo is dangerous. <clears throat> so the meta for modern is still resettling. And again, I, just a card to keep your eye on, not something to, to run out and stockpile. But if when it seems to jump back on the radar, be ready to ready to pull the trigger, I suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see. I can, I can buy that for for a quick flip. Um, okay. So let's move on here. Segment three, our meta game we can review. Uh, we had Pioneer and Modern Challenges the last uh, wrapping up yesterday. Uh, <laughs> Modern Challenge. Um, looks like the Pioneer one was taken down by a blue white control on archetype that's been doing a lot better in Pioneer since the last big ban. Um. No Time Ravelers, surprisingly enough, uh, but I am seeing some Hero Dominarias. Got to have some Teferi in there. It's got a play set of Supreme Verdict. Uh, so doing some doing that, it's doing some work. Other than that, uh, just, you know, normal counter spells and that type of good stuff. Um, one Castle Vantress in there. Uh, second place, though, has a card that I'm, I'm interested in. Um, and I didn't pick it this week, but it's kind of on my radar, which is the Royal Scions. I think that card could end up being pretty significant in Pioneer. I've got like two or three foil extended arts um, after there was some hubbub about a blue-red deck in Pioneer a couple weeks ago. I think the card kind of is a sleeper and Oko overshadowed Royal Scions a little bit, but I wouldn't be surprised to see this do some some real work. If not in Standard, then uh, at least Pioneer, I think its time will come because uh, there's a lot of power on that three monoplanes walker yeah i mean i'd like to see it popping up more often as a four of instead of a two of but the insole artifact uh deck is very real in pioneer it has consistently uh top aided events um both before and after oko existed so <clears throat> it's pretty real that's i mean ginger brutes could be a buy list play for down the road uh, I'm sure Insole Artifact has been worth picking out of bulk for a while, and there's a whole bunch of cards like that in that deck. Um, third place was Niv-Mizzet. Uh, it occurred to me that Paradise Druids, if they continue to earn their slot in this deck, might end up being a something to be pulling out of bulk. Um, because even if they pass out of standard, if they're still seeing play here, of course this is where the Sylvan Caryatid pick comes from. Um... The fourth place was another version of that that was running three Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath. So that card seen play all over the place. The combo Lotus Field decks seem to be doing pretty well, constantly putting up results. It was fifth place in this Pioneer Challenge on the 19th. Um, 
really liking the big stack of lotus fields i've got i suspect that it will be at least a triple up by the time things are done because i don't think this is in position to to catch a ban in pioneer but the deck is certainly looking pretty strong i see this chronic flooding or this uh this chronic flooding deck this lotus field deck is uh, in fifth place is using the underworld breach yeah which is something because it's it's not even it's not even instant or sorcery it's non-land so you can cast other enchantment you can cast enchantments with it too yeah and creatures like thassa's oracle or something yeah yeah hmm i'd have to see that in action that's a fact that's a curious deck list this blue white flyers list keeps popping up too, which I don't. I'm kind of a little surprised by. It feels like it would have that would have been a very immature deck list that would have kind of gotten ushered out of the format as, as the format kind of matured and found its stride. But I mean, it's still here, still putting up results. And this was here like week one or week two. This deck just presents consistent threats, just like blue white spirits in modern, right? And if you don't answer those threats on curve, they just start pulling ahead because you're just not blocking. Like, everything in this deck flies. Yep. And they have a bunch of interlocking synergies. Yeah. They can put a curious obsession on things. They don't bother with any interaction in the main other than what's on the creatures. So, Spell Quellers, Selfless Spirits, Rattle Chains, uh, Brazen Borrower. You know, those are the on-card interactions. Brazen Borrower, by the way. Showcase car showcases. It looks like you can snag at thirty five, um, and it is not too many before you're at forty, and then not that many more before you're at forty five, fifty, sixty. And it this is, is a, in, it is a standard is in, like pioneer modern legacy card. So yeah, and like it was in like every single deck that Martin Yuza posted today in his Thassa deck list, and it's just it's like it's just surprising. How many decks it's in, and in the numbers that it's in, that, that, pe- those EAs might be the good stuff. People underestimated adventure creatures, like the <laughs> the the built in two for one, um, for sure. They they almost the, everything but the white one has been doing a ton of work, and even Giant Killer started showing up in standard lists this week in the mono white list. Giant Killer, yeah, that's the. The white up. equivalent to Bone Crusher Giant, Murderous Rider, Lovestruck Beast. Okay. It's the one that can kill a creature with power four or greater and then tap creatures after that. It's a Jack of Jack and the Giant Beanstalk. Right. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, all five of them could potentially top eight a tournament in the first four months of their release. So, that cycle confirmed pushed. Um, yeah. Seventh place, still got you know the chonky red decks always in the running. Uh, chonky because they have a pretty big top end, like four glory bringer, four rekindling phoenix is not the low slung goblin decks of of old. This is you know definitely putting people away with big flyers and a uh, little bit a little bit of fat in them. And then the eighth place in this was mono black with the four castle lock queens. So. Lots of interesting stuff well, going Former on. Former Uro's down in there, ninth place. Yeah, that ramp green ramp deck, which is fun. With mm-hmm. uh, four Hydroid Crassus and four Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath. 
two world breaker for cavalier of thorns for arboreal grazer i picked those out of my uh war of the spark bulk because it seems like they're going to be a pioneer stable uh tunisa who i wonder if Uro. sorry god you can finish just wrap up the deck list. Two Nissa who shakes the world, three Ugin Spirit Dragon, four Grow Spiral, and four Nissa's Pilgrimage, so green ramp. I wonder if Uro and Hydroid Crisis is going to become a thing. If that's going to be a thing in Pioneer that you Uro into Crisis, because that would be uh, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot of everything. It's a lot of mana. It's a lot of text. It's a lot of mana symbols. It's a lot of money. An, an argument can be made that Simic got the best cards this year. <laughs> for, for sure. Oh, yeah. Between Ur... For the first time Between Uro, in, Oko, and Crosses. For the first time in 25 years, Simic got the good cards. And they were too good. We flew too close to the sun. So... Rip. 12th place was a mono green deck that was running the full four Great Henge. Because uh, mm-hmm. they got the Lovestruck Beast for five power. Galta obviously is 12. Rotting Regisaur uh, is a splash in the deck to have a seven power creature. Just so that your Great Henges are always coming down early and really like pushing your board development hard. So if that yeah. version of the deck keeps keeps doing well, your hinges are looking good. They would be. I see more hard occurrence too. Phyllis on the hard occurrence has stumbled a little bit, uh, which I'm not wild about. But I do think that card is going to keep showing up in this format. I think it's got some some legs still. All right, so let's take a little peek at the uh, the modern league. See if there's anything new and exciting over there. See a teamer. Uh, mid-range list that's four brazen borrower again borrowers four delver of secrets four hooting mandrills four tarmogoyf and a whole bunch of teamer spells um certainly still have eldritch evolution neoform gristlebrand nonsense running around in the format you're going to have a whole bunch of different builds uh that use quarter calling collected company and a bunch of creature combos uh I watched about two hours of Heliod last night. I think Zan Saeed was something like 14-1 and one or something across three leagues. Ooh. Somebody else that was talking to him on stream said they were 23-2. and two. So... Those are pretty good numbers. Yeah. <laughs> the problem, of course, is that Wizards pre-flagged this combo and said they're watching it. So you really don't want it to be doing this well. You want it to be doing occasionally top aiding and being viable. Edging up the viability of the green-white creature combo decks, not putting them right over the top. Over the top will equal a ban these days, so you want them just to get like 2% more efficient against the the field or something. Mm-hmm. Here's an ad nauseum deck that runs Thassa's Oracle as the finisher. Or... Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, they're just sliding. Basically, any deck where you can reliably deck yourself, Oracle is now your win condition. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so viable before that, too. I see a uh, a fun elemental deck here. Yeah. I like that one. Like, anything that, anybody that wants yeah. to run four Lightning Scalemental is fine by me, because I've got 
several yeah. of those foils, maybe 12 or 14 foils at 10 bucks a piece or something. Uh, I like that this deck is playing four Lightning Skeletal next to four Risen Reef. That is, that is somebody who's living moss. There's also a black-red uh, Elementals list that's running the Lightning Skeletals. Um, and there's the five-color one, so there's a couple different different ways to go at the Elementals problem. There's also this uh, Tron Astral Cornucopia combo engine that uses, like, Surge nodes and Paradox engines and stuff to... And Core Tappers to just generate ridiculous amounts of mana. And then Walking Ballista people out. Hey. Sounds like there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Mono Red still in, I like... still in the mix. The Yawgmoth deck that won the SG Open a couple weeks ago. 5-0-ing in this league. Um, so that doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Um... I like the uh, this one here. He's got the four Dried of the Ilzian Grove, too. Uh, the Primeval Titan list? For the Valka deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the the yeah. Grove can't be necessarily be Fatal Push, can't be Bolted because it's a 2-4. Of course, it can be Path, but only blue. that typically only matters in blue-white right now. Um, so they can basically... They have a creature that's a prismatic omen that allows them to put extra lands in play is that the deal you put one extra land in play per turn yeah dried of the ilzian grove is additional land and prismatic and prismatic omen. Omen. yeah so they get an extra land in play and then basically they when they do valicate shenanigans everything is a mountain yes yeah yep so elysian grove is the real deal i haven't bought any um because i want to see how cheap extended arts will get you know, heading into peak supply but it's an edh staple it's pioneer and modern viable and standard viable so <laughs> i'm not holding my breath for it to get cheap i'm just curious how cheap it will get yeah it is unfortunate how obvious this was like out of the gate yeah it looks like the extended arts non-foils are 75 dollars right now so so a- much for that Uro seems to be sliding into these uh, Primeval Titan lists. It's unclear whether it's a one of, a two of, or a four of. I've seen everything in between, really. Um, so it'd be interesting to see where the people piloting that deck stabilize in the next few months, because that will certainly impact uh, Uro's price tag. Uh, if he stays top eight material in three formats simultaneously, if it's standard, pioneer, and modern, that will be the recipe to be top mythic in the set and push 40 or 50 next fall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, even if he's just tier one standard with a sorted play in pioneer and modern, that's still quite good for him, right? Like that already sets him up to do very well. Uh, interested. Interesting to see that Karn the Great Creator, not having access to Mycosynth Lattice, has not kicked him out of the format. There's a few different lists that were running three or four copies of Karn in here. Here's a big, uh, a, a red uh, control list. Three Chandra Torch of Defiance, three Karn the Great Creator, three Eidolon of Great Revel, four uh, Revel, four Goblin Rabble Master, one Hazaret, one Legion Warboss, four Simeon Spirit Guide, a Slagstorm, three Abrade, four Desperate Ritual, and a Pyretic Ritual. Four Chalice of the Void, three Ensnaring Bridge, and four Blood Moon. 
with the uh, Gemstone Caverns package and Remunop, uh, Remunop Ruins as well to get some colorless damage across. Okay. It's fun. It's fun. I don't like it as much as I like Skeletal and Risen Reef in the same deck, but that's fine. We, we've seen these um, like red prison builds before in Modern, but until Karn the Great Creator, they didn't have a way to you know drop a Blood Moon, then go get Liquid Metal Coating, <laughs> and start shutting off their opponent's lands. The one like the basics that aren't affected by the Blood Moon. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. All right, so I mean, I think the so, end, the end result here is both formats look healthy. Uh, I'm not seeing a breakout deck go all ham on everybody yet. I'm seeing Formats with a lot of viable decks, both in Pioneer and Modern. And now we just wait and see what happens. One of the interesting things is a super diverse format that stays diverse and never really stabilizes on a tier on a on a narrow tier one is actually probably harder to move is less likely to move card prices than the alternative. Right. I don't disagree with that. Um I guess I'm just uh, this all looks amusing. Like modern still looks like there's some fun decks and there's some cool stuff to do. I I'm just still not convinced there's gonna be enough people there. But yeah, maybe, maybe. The problem well, is you can't these these like these fun little like elemental decks. Like they're just they're not gonna matter, right? They're not gonna put enough pressure on anything. It would have to be it has correct. to be a deck that's like crushing modern. Yeah. Well, I mean, I sold a bunch of foil ice fang quaddles last month because urza uh oko was crushing modern but now that there's right. nobody crushing modern there's no specific modern card that i've noticed flying off the shelves instead i'm back to selling like random uh super spiked foils uh of mostly edh cards um and then occasional play yeah. sets for pioneer or modern um or standard but you know i in conditions where you have a really broad format, you're looking for the un- unsung heroes or the super staples like a Castle Lockthwain that are, are likely to represent steady growth and have very limited downside. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I yeah, I, I'm just not sure how much modern is going to represent these opportunities from here on out simply because the format looks too balanced, essentially, too smooth for the cards to really really take over the format the way you need them to. What is Star City Games running this weekend? Let's see. Because we have the triple Pioneer uh, event at the end of the month uh, on three different continents. So it looks like the next SCG tour is team constructed on February 1st and 2nd. Uh, and that's also true February 8th and 9th. So I'm assuming that will be po- modern Pioneer and standard. Uh, modern Pioneer. So th- their next standard. modern only Probably. event isn't until March 7th. And I don't. Is there a modern GP before the Pioneer ones? Let me just double check on that. Hmm. I'll have to look that up. I don't have it handy at the moment. I suspect there are not enough major modern events in the next few weeks for us to be looking in that direction instead of at Pioneer. 
where a triple GP on three continents is much yeah. more likely to move the needle when we see what top eight's there. Especially if there's mm-hmm. any tech that, yeah. that is fresh. Which there's still plenty of room for that to be the case in Pioneer by by a lot. So, cool looking format, but I remain unconvinced. All right, we got Daniel in the hopper, so let's uh, switch on over to and do our competitive set review for Theros Beyond Death. All right, so let's get segment four started here. We are joined this week by Mr. Daniel Fournier, writer uh, for Face-to-Face Games, Pro Tour, and Star City competitor, vague neighbor to James in the frozen tundra up north. Daniel, it is always a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing tonight? What's up? I'm doing all right. Glad to be back. Great. and uh, It's really really good that you can make time in your busy dating life to... Sit down with <laughs> sad, pathetic, married guys, I guess. Uh, don't out me. Don't out me. <laughs> as, don't as, worry. I'm don't out me as dating. Just like everyone I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume that whatever fine young man or woman you were hanging out with this week, or the multiple thereof, um, almost almost certainly <laughs> listens to this podcast, so I'm sure they'll hear us Definitely. all of this. Yeah. Nothing weird will happen as a result of this. There's no way. <laughs> well, one of the one of the few professional magic players who uh, isn't a eunuch. Um, <laughs> but we've got we've got Theros <laughs> Beyond Death here uh, for segment four, topic of the week, and we have our our four formats. Um, so we're going to kind of go through here, talk about you know kind of the top ten hits for each set, bounce off some of our ideas, uh, get get your reaction. Um, so why don't we jump right in here? Uh, James, what do you think? Left or right here? Should we start with standard, or do you have an opinion? Yeah, go Do you for want it. to save that for later on? All right. So we're starting off here uh, with Phoenix of Ash. This is the uh, – we're going to read a lot of we're gonna read a lot of cards on the cast today, so I apologize if you guys have all these memorized, but I sure as heck don't, so this kind of helps us all. Yeah. I'm looking at them for the first time. <laughs> that's, <but. laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's good. No, no, then we get the good, we get the good intuition, right? You're supposed to <laughs> – the, the good impression. Yeah. I did that – Normally, I'll, I'll look at a spoiler before going for a pre-release or something, but this time around, I decided to have a more authentic, uh, holistic approach to pre-releasing, where I literally didn't look at a single card from the set before showing up. So I'm like sitting there opening packs, reading the cards. Oh, it felt good. There, there, was cer- there was certainly a time in my Magic career where I would have like definitely read through the LSV like limited reviews two or three times before I hit, hit up pre-release. These days, I'm just like, if yeah. a ten year old can smash me, then let him. Like, let's let's get let's get this yeah. going. <laughs> I I've always had that attitude of like, oh, it's a tournament. I should be a little bit prepared for it. But when it's something like a pre release, like, I I strongly recommend the approach of not reading any of the cards first. <laughs> it's fun. Or, it's a completely different experience. Or it's great. Or during the game. Don't read them during the game either. <laughs> well, well that, that's, that's another. <laughs> I can't recommend that. Um, all right, so all right, let's go. Phoenix of Ash <laughs> is a 3-mana 2-2 red card with Flying Haste. Um, so this is a familiar template already. Uh, for 3-mana, you can give it plus 2, plus 0. Oh. You can escape it for 4-mana and exiling 3 cards. And when you escape it, it comes in as a 3-3 instead of a 2-2. So we have the standard Phoenix archetype here of a smallish red flying creature with haste returning to the battlefield under some condition. Uh, This one has the added feature 
uh, coming back a little bit bigger, but you do have to pay a little more and exile three cards, uh, but you can choose to pump it. So not quite as triggerable as we saw with Arclight Phoenix, but possibly a little fatter as it might be. Um, looks like prices are, I don't know if my mouse will catch up here, uh, roughly about $1.50, so they're pretty cheap. What's your read on Phoenix of Ashes? Is this going to be a mainstay Phoenix in the way that some of these other Phoenixes have been in standard, or are we looking at this as a throwaway? So I'm remembering this card, uh, Chandra's Phoenix, back from like M12 or something. Maybe it was M14. Ah, it is both. Um, <laughs> which was basically a similar, like, a similarly, like, slightly recursive three mana 2 2 flying haste. Uh, it was the case that whenever it, whenever you connected with a burn spell or read Planeswalker's damage, then it would return to your hand, whereas this one, you just need to have cards in your graveyard to return it directly to play, which is great. But the, the way you had to think about these cards was as a baseline, what does it do in the worst case scenario when it's not being recursive? So it's a three mana, two, two flying haste. And that is good in exactly one strategy, which is red aggro. There's kind of always been red aggro around in standard these days. There's always a bunch of cards that are pushing it. This one included. Uh, I'm confident that this card will be a part of standard. Uh, whether it would be ubiquitous, uh, that depends on the strength of the rest of the mono red shell and how it lines up against the rest of the format. But this card will definitely be a part of it. Okay. Um, is this... Do you think this is primarily a like aggressive red deck type of card, or do you think this has enough flexibility to span into other archetypes? To to perform as an effect, sorry, for for this card to perform effectively as anything other than attacking for two damage a turn and getting your opponent's life total down in like a consistent way to a turn, you have to invest a bunch of mana into it, which makes it not a very efficient mid range or control card. I think it's an aggro only card. Okay. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So $1.50 on these is probably roughly close to the right price, which is essentially a rare that sees some play, but like not that big of a deal, essentially. Yeah, if we randomly ended up with like a homogenous metagame where Mono Red was the best deck, then maybe more, but okay, I don't see that happening. Any, any input on the Phoenix, James? I haven't seen the shell for it yet. <clears throat> but it does get a year and a half to get there. Um, I don't think it's the Phoenix likely to get anywhere in Pioneer or Modern, since there are several other options, and Arclight still seems like the most likely to set up shop and, and stay there for a while. So <clears throat> this is the kind of rare at $1.50. Could it get to 3 4 5 Yeah. But you're kind of like your best case is that it dominates a top 8 one weekend and you get a buy list out. In which case, you're. I'm hoping that you're. You targeted these at like fifty cents or something, um, and that this happens, you know, post Icoria, and gives you plenty of chance to get it when it's bulk. Um, I, I Icoria is in like April or May, right? That's our spring <clears throat> set. End of April, yeah. End of April. So you know, if Icoria comes along and puts everyone on the plan of trying to play huge fat creatures, Phoenix of Ash and the Red Deck in general could have a really good. Um, coming out party there while everyone tries to dirtle and play eight drops or 15 drops or whatever it is they're planning on doing you're just the guy playing the, the one drop red cards so i could see trying to snag these at like 20 cents a brick of them at 20 or 25 cents type of deal looking to buy list them at a dollar that doesn't mm -hmm. seem unreasonable but that dollar 50 price seems completely unapproachable at the moment 
I'd probably end up th- these kind of cards. I probably like better as Magic Online specs, where you can grab five or ten, like a basket of five or ten different rares in quantity, four at a time. Hit up the bots five, six, seven times, stash them away at like le- a cent or something, and then you're waiting for one of them to hit eighty cents somewhere along the way and clean up your your situation. But most of the time, I'm just going to steer clear from these standard only rares. Okay. Um, okay. After that, uh, at ninth slot, this is uh, might be a little little out of place here, but the next thing we have is, have is uh, Thassa Deep Dwelling. So Thassa, again, four mana, six, five, indestructible, um, devotion to five or less, blah, 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 uh, that flickers a creature at the end of every of well, your turns. At the end of your end step, you flicker a creature. And for four mana, you can tap another creature. So it feels like you're coming, you're playing Thassa primarily for the flicker ability here, I would suspect. Um, the tapping, I would imagine, comes up occasionally as a way to sneak in some damage at the end of the game. And occasionally you also get a 6-5. Maybe you play to the 6-5 Indestructible plan a little more often, depending on what your deck is. Uh, but I know Martin Hughes has been hot on this card. Um, what's your read here for us, Dan? Yeah, this is absolutely like a four mana enchantment that flickers your Risen Reef every end step and just generates like an obnoxious amount of value with the flicker ability. And then eventually is a 6-5 indestructible that gets to actually attack for the win. It has a mana sink built into it. Um, I like this card. It's very good. However, it is expensive, which is a problem. Yeah, in terms of cash money. Not yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't right. a problem when the streamer, people that were paying attention and watching early streaming um, did get their shot here because they were snapping these off in Europe between 8 and $10. Some ben- online vendors yeah. had them around 10, 10 to $12 as well. And they've already got their playset exits at like, you know, sixty nine ninety nine a playset and get a nice clean, uh, quick return. Um, but at 20, you know, the number of mythics per set that go 20 to 40 is usually one. In, in Eldraine, it was it was Oko. Um, I don't think it's going to be yeah, this one. It, I feel a little bit a bit better about it than some of the others because I think it has multiple shells. I've seen it in both Mono Blue, where it's leveraging things like Thassa's Oracle, uh, and I've also seen it in really weird lists that combo off and generate ridiculous amounts of mana. I think something something to do with Nyxbloom Agent. I was watching uh, Aliantrazi uh, mess around with at one point. And I saw at least one other one where it was like flickering in Cavalier of Thorns and other nonsense. Um, so it's entirely possible it could end up in two different lists and given top eight, which puts it in a better position than most. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I get. I'm in the same spot. You, maybe you have some sort of teamer or some other sort of mid rangey value deck that leans heavily on the bouncing aspect, and then you have like a mono blue build that plays more of the 6-5 but okay so we know that Thas is very good but 20 is essentially a bridge too far i'm okay with that that makes sense um following that is underworld breach this is the new yagmoth's will which was floating around just oh was this this morning i think that evan Irwin was tweeting about this some japanese player um posted a moto stream where they went off on turn two in modern and killed on turn two using underworld breach uh, so that was pretty tasty. Uh, did you catch that video, Dan? I did not, but I 
firmly believe that this card is probably busto in a whole lot of formats. Standard, uh, probably not, but I, I, uh, cards like this are always I did scary. just see a standard list for this like two hours ago or something. I have a feeling this, this card is Oko level, level busted. I think it's busted at least in Pioneer, Modern, Legacy, and Vintage. <laughs> and pro- Doesn't that just mean it gets, it gets banned? Though? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I've, I've stayed well clear of it because if I had to pick any card in this set to get banned, this would be it. Yeah. Most likely to be a design mistake award goes to Underworld Breach. I mean, I was I was around during Urza's block. I remember playing with Yogwill. Uh, cards busted. This, this, Very reasonable this, card. this card can actually do more work because in certain formats like vintage if you're recycling zero mana things because it doesn't exile them it just puts them back in the graveyard right yeah i i learned that escape works like that uh at the pre-release ridiculous (laughs) i actually at the second pre-release not (laughs) not the first one (laughs) yeah so i mean basically with something like a black lotus if you've got 20 cards in your graveyard you could recycle the lotus six times off the same underworld breach so, yeah, it's like pretty whereas, significant. Whereas Yog will exiles them off the first recast, right? Yeah. The problem with this card is that it's very obviously like it, it's obviously either completely broken or literally unplayable, which puts it in like, yeah, just immediate ban territory. I, yeah, that's basically the same thing we were saying earlier is it feels like there's no middle ground on the card. It's either. No. Getting banned in multiple old they, formats, or no one ever casts it ever. Yeah, which is why I think they shouldn't print cards like this. But anyways, I don't really care what happens with this in Legacy and Vintage. Naturally, I suspect in EDH it's self-regulating from the perspective of it being a CEDH card. It, it's the kind of like these one-card combos are not things a, a healthy, friendly EDH pod is going to want to run. So yeah, it could be nonsense in modern though, which would be yeah. It's, it's more of a question of can can it be good without like breaking pioneer and modern. Um. <laughs> I, I think pioneer might not have the tools to make it work, but modern certainly does. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that could be bad. I you know with the price tag at seven dollars. This is obviously like well, I shouldn't say obviously. This is definitely unbuyable. Uh, I wonder if the angle here is in 90 days when it's banned in three formats and the price craters to also try and grab copies at like 20 cents or what have you and just stick them away in a long box and wait and wait for Pioneer to slowly get the tools it needs until suddenly the car is busted in Pioneer because they got enough one and two mana spells and then it jumps to, you know, three bucks. Well, it's the flavor of the month for a little while out to buy lists uh, before it gets abandoned Pioneer as well. I, I'm going to go on record in saying that I think this card is competitive in Pioneer right now. And that e- even without fetches and ways to fill graveyards quickly, this will probably get there in Pioneer. I, I think we'll see it top eight Pioneer within three months, for sure. The It's just the upside's so high. There's weird cards like Mox Amber still in that format. You've got Emery loose in the format there's there's a bunch of shenanigans that are possible and because this is so utterly splashable it's got that like vintage cube feel where the rest of your deck is totally different colors and then you're just casting a breach to finish the game so i think you get to come at it from a bunch of different angles 
Yeah, it, this card's scary. I, Seven dollars. I don't want any part of it. It could easily be a thing where people that snapped got them early at like three, four, five dollars in certain brief situations online might get their exit between 10 and 15 off the first set of results before the calls for bannings roll in heavily. But I don't want any part of that. The, the window's too narrow. Can't can't fault you for that. That seems fair. Uh, this one's modest, but I think... Like, utterly playable in standard. Nightmare Shepherd. 4-4 four, four flyer for 4... It's got blinky shenanigans of its own where any comes into playability gets leveraged twice because when the creature dies, you get a 1-1 version of it back. So in things like Yarok, um, you get to do... Things can get silly. But I would just expect this to show up occasionally in standard. At $5, I have no interest in it. I absolutely love this card, but I completely agree with your analysis of it. Yeah. Awesome art on this card too, and it was in my pre-release pool, so I've I've seen I've seen it's it do so work. Sick. <laughs> the art's so cool. I think there's a lot of potential in like mono black decks and standard to be sick with this card, but I, I think at its sickest, it's a five dollar card. So yeah, fair. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're already there. How about Elspeth's Son's Nemesis? Have you had a chance to test with that at all? I have not actually played with this card yet, but it is my understanding. That it is better than it looks. Eight dollars. However, I think it looks awful. So, <laughs> um, I'm really not a fan of. Uh, I mean, I'm a fan of the design space of planeswalkers that are basically sagas and that they tick down a couple times. But I'm not a fan of on power level putting planeswalkers in my deck that do not provide lasting value over the course of the game. Um, this to me is just is lingering souls. And Lingering Souls is a, a good card that has not been good in Magic for quite a while. Like, the power level of Magic, the way we play Magic, the way play, what playing to the board looks like in recent years has not been conducive to cards like Lingering Souls that provide, like, difficult-to-answer on-board presence. But not, like, good on-board presence, just some on-board presence. That's just not really been what Magic's been about for a while, so... I hesitate to think that this card's going to be very good. And back in original Theros standard, we had Elspeth Sun's Champion, which was much more of a mid-range control shell game ender. This feels very grindy. This is like your Asper deck that wants to play 30 turns of the game and just runs you out of solutions to this and then eventually just puts you away. But this is at this... Yeah, what this card's looking to do is like put four one ones into play chump block with them and then by the time they get rid of uh the four one ones that you escape the elspeth and continue to waste time or whatever but like i don't know that that's not that's not the play pattern that elspeth sun's champion was which was you play it and then either they kill it or they lose and you couldn't kill it because it made three one ones so. yeah and it's completely unclear to me that that play pattern does anything in a format where you're going like wicked wolf or dried of elysian grove into like Uros and Nissas and Hydroid Crassus. Yeah, Magic's just moved away from having a couple 1-1s one being good. It just hasn't been that way for a while. I don't see this card being yeah. great. I, but I'm told I'm told it's like fine in like Pioneer and stuff. So I, I, I would I guess I, go ahead, Travis. Go. I, I guess I would I, I'm gonna take the other tact here. Uh this card I when I saw it during the initial leak, I was like this card seems real good. 
Uh, escape is a type of mechanic that people are going to have trouble fig- evaluating correctly. It's basically Hogak. Uh, and if this card... Lo- whoa, 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 whoa. Let's... <laughs> but like the Let's mecha- not say things we can't the, take back. <laughs> the, the mecha- but the mechanic is like a, a, like a, a essentially a the same concept, right? Sure, except instead of well, but it's being thirty power on turn two every game. You get two one ones. Y- yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> For six mana, <laughs> but it's but it but, but I mean Hogak, Hogak got itself as obviously an extremely potent card, but got itself banned pretty hard based on how powerful the ability to just keep bringing that crap back was, and Elspeth and the sure. escape. I think it, I think it being a zero mana. Yeah, I think Hogak being a zero mana eight eight was a bigger part of the problem <laughs> than the the escape the escapability on it. But okay, that's I could be wrong. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I just but I'm just telling you my initial read of it was like you can keep yeah. bringing this back, and if this looked like a normal planeswalker, that also you could just keep bringing back, it would be insane. So it's got to be a little less than what you would expect out of a normal Planeswalker because you can keep doing it. And it also means that typical removal is a little less effective. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I, I would, I'm expect, I could definitely be wrong, right? That's always a possibility. But this really set off my radar when I first saw it. And at eight bucks, that's, which I, is just something I do very rarely, almost low enough that I would go spec on it that, right now. That, that was my next will, question. You haven't been buying a lot lately. Are you buying Elspeth? Nah. The only reason I'm not today is because it's pre-release weekend and you probably aren't supposed to buy anything at these prices. And if it's $8, that means not many people think that this is the key card. So I probably have a little bit of time to wait, but maybe only a couple weeks. So I'm going to keep a close eye on this price, basically at the stores where I have my store credit. And if this gets down to like six, seven, yeah, I'll buy I'll buy a couple play sets because I, I would be surprised, even at eight, if it doesn't get up into the 12 or 15 range at some point. This card just, it feels good to me. See, here's, here's the thing. With this card, we're going to have all the time in the world if Dan sneaks it on camera one morning at, at a Star City Open <laughs> and starts kicking ass. We'll just throw a bunch in the cart and check yeah. it with everybody else. The yeah, I see no reason to... Th- there's going to be 300 copies on TCG the day that that happens. And it's going to take a while for them to hollow out and we can grab some in Europe and whatever. So this is the kind of card where I just want to have it in my back pocket uh, as a... Don't forget... Elspeth might get there by zero, and then when somebody gets put on camera for a deck tech where everyone's going gaga, then we'll we'll talk about how many to buy. If if you're always at the ready, you know, very nimble, ready to buy cards, I think that's totally fine. Sure, I've been a you know I, I'm on Monday. I'm starting a new job that's going to have me very busy. I'm not going to be quite as agile with that type of stuff as I have been in the past. So, like, I don't mind paying maybe a 5 or 10% tax to just try and get some in my house that I can then just be comfortable having and ready to list when things go ex- get exciting. Yeah, I mean, if I was a... If, if, Congratulations on the new Yeah, I mean, if I, if I was a lingerie model, I'd, I'd be buying my cards a little earlier. Just <laughs> Maybe that is what I'm doing. You don't know. I don't. I haven't seen the job description, but it's probably sexy. I believe in you. The, you can do whatever the, the, you want. Here's the other thing about Elspeth is that in a lot of control decks, there's another card on this list that has got a lot of people's heads turned a lot harder. 
Dream Trawler was super underestimated as it was first announced and now looks like a very dominant card in the format. <coughs> so, um, I suspect to see more decks loading up on Trawler than I do on Elspeth. Yeah, for sure. Although, doesn't... Wait, let me, let me control F this card here. Yeah, I mean you can you can you can pump trawlers with your Elspeths. <laughs> okay. Right, right, you can. Up to two creatures, sure. get plus two plus one. You can pump your trawlers and hit for more damage. There you go. Yeah. <coughs> that that is uh, what I've always liked to refer to as a win more. <laughs> Listen, maybe you I, have I two trawlers have... in play and it's not good enough. You also need to resolve your Elspeth and plus four your two trawlers. It's, it's not often in Magic where Baneslayer connecting is not yeah. good enough. Yeah. But anyway. All right, let's talk about Shatter the, Shatter the Sky, <laughs> which also has better interactions with Trawler than it does with Elspeth. <laughs> the um, Shatter the Sky is the four mana Wrath. Haven't seen one of those in a while. Um, has the upside, downside of drawing people cards if they lost a creature with, what, four power or greater? Yeah. So that's pretty that's pretty strong, right? Like you can You're just going to build around that, and it's going to do a lot of work. I mean, Wrath is always going to be pretty good. Uh, As someone who has been a Day of Judgment aficionado for a very long time, a little bit of a fan of Supreme Verdicts here and there, uh, I can state confidently that this is a significantly worse card than Day of Judgment and a significantly worse card than Wrath of God, uh, given that when you're a constructed deck with a Wrath in it, uh, you don't want Tower Creatures in play. That's kind of antithetical to the point of destroying all creatures is to destroy your own creatures but um there are definitely going to be a lot of uh metagames a lot of formats a lot of situations where you're okay with your opponent drawing a card for the exchange of wrathing them uh the problem with this card in standard right now is that there are two other at least at least two other wraths there's probably some more that i don't really know about because they don't see play but with Time Wipe and Kaya's Wrath existing, uh, unless you're not able to play those cards, you then have to start thinking about, like, do I really want... Like, you don't need Shadow of the Sky in your deck if you're able to play Kaya's sure. Wrath, because Kaya's Wrath is better. just way better, obviously. Um, but incredibly hard to cast. And so you have to answer that question for yourself. So Shadow of the Sky, obviously playable, it's a Wrath. Uh, whether you're playing it versus Time Wipe, that has to depend on the speed of the format. If you have creatures in your deck, obviously you prefer Time Wipe because it has upside. Uh, or Shadow of the Sky only has downside. So We've also got Storm's Wrath in the format. Two double red, same set. Four damage to each sure, creature I mean, and each Planeswalker is seems card. reasonable. Yeah. Red isn't typically in the control role that Shadow of the Sky would sure. provide. Shadow of the Sky is at $2. Pass, pass, pass. Uh, yeah, very pass. Uh, how about this one, though? Croxa Titan of Death's Hunger. It's a mythic. It's $10. Seems set up to do work. This card's very powerful, but um, I don't really know exactly what the shell is for it. Like, it, Obviously, it's actually just like Black Red Sacrifice or whatever, but um, I'm not particularly sold about this card being anything other than a role player in a very specific deck. Because having played a lot of, like, Jund Food and a lot of these, like, big value aristocrats decks, 
this isn't really the kind of card that those decks want. What they want to be doing is be grinding out advantage and getting to points where they have huge, unsurmountable board positions. Not looking for, like, having your opponent discard a card and then later getting a 6-6 six, six, uh, that makes your opponent then also discard a card. Because the, the idea that with this card we're actually ever going to get to attack with it is like a pipe dream. We've already probably won the game if we're getting, getting to that point. So, uh, th this card's definitely strong, but the fact that it only costs two mana means something to me. It means that there's some point in tuning the card where they realized it probably costs like three or four. They're like, oh, this isn't actually that good. We can actually make it be cost, make it cost two, and it's okay. When I, I look at this, and I mean I'm a Simic player at heart, so Uro spoke to me a lot more. But I look at and I so but I evaluated both of them in the same way is let's pretend the escape clause isn't there. Like let's just pretend this is a sorcery. You're playing you're it's a sorcery that's black red. Uh your opponent discards a card and then they probably lose three life. Which if you're playing like playing paying black red for that sorcery is terrible. Right? Like it's it's not good because they, if you don't get to choose what card they're discarding, they just discard a card. Um, yeah, that's just a that's not like basically a worse rate than Raven's Crime, which you wouldn't play if it didn't have the right flashback, yeah, or whatever it's called. Yeah, 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 I also forget the term unearthed, whatever. Yeah. So it's who cares? Yeah, my my read on the on the on the front half of this card essentially is that it's quite weak, and now contrast that with Uro, which is Explore, which is already Explore that added a mana that also gained three life. Yeah, I mean, which is like, yeah, yeah okay. Uro's obviously insane. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Uro. Uro. Sure. But I guess my point being is that when I compare the two of them, like Uro feel like if I'm just thinking about these as sorcerers, Uro feels so much better than Kroxa. And you don't know that you're going to cast either of them. You probably just have to evaluate them as spells with potential upside down the road. And it, if I'm thinking of it that way, Kroxa just feels like I don't care. And I think you're right that if you do get to attack with this card, you've already won the game. The, him attacking isn't what wins you the game. Uh, yeah, your opponent isn't interacting with you sufficiently yeah. in order to defeat whatever strategy, whatever linear strategy you're playing to have this card in. Yeah. So okay, so we're 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 pretty much in the same place then. That this is just it feels I'm much worse. Not than, a fan of this card. Yeah. All right. Good to know. So here, here's a here's a Grixis list that people have been fooling around with with. On the basis that Lazav the Multifarious is the key that unlocks Kroxa. Um, four Kroxa. <laughs> All right, that sounds kind of sweet. <laughs> four Kroxa, three Lazav, uh, three Atreus Oracle of Half Truths, Murderous Rider, Thief of Sanity, two Bedevil, two Angrath's Rampage, four Thought Erasure, four Tyrant Scorn, three Nicol Bolas Dragon God, uh, I guess three Thief of Sanity total, and three Ashiok Nightmare Muse. For a fairly. So this sounds rangy control. This sounds cool, but the problem with it is that the Croxa just doesn't actually belong in this kind of deck. It's like a blue red. It's like a sorry, a blue black mid range deck that has two mana. Your opponent discards a card in it, which is just not really you're what, what that deck is looking for, right? You're supposed to lazab the Croxa, right? Make him a copy of the Croxa, and then it, now you have your six six that gets to attack with a trigger. This is cool, but it's again assuming that your opponent is not interacting with your creatures on board, and the payoff is they discard a card. Yeah, which is not not game breaking. I feel it's. I mean, like I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt on this. Lazav, is it? Mul it's multifarious, right? 
as well. And we said, okay, so hold on. Wait, let me, so, yeah, I mean, you, so you play him for two, you get a one, three with a surveil, which is, you know, that's, that's a fine rate, I guess. That's roughly a fine rate. It's slightly worse than Omen Speaker. It's worse than Omen Speaker, but like not a, tr- not horrible. And then if you're, if you live the dream, you flip the Kroxa and you get to then pay two and immediately attack with your six, six type of deal. So I don't. It's like cool, I guess. Yeah, it's it's cute. Don't get me wrong. This is exactly the type of thing that if I was like playing aggressively, I would do that and feel like I had stumbled upon something. But I can buy that it is probably too cute. That definitely screams too cute to me. More importantly, I, I would also I would also note that if I was trying to invest into this deck, that I would just buy Lizovs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I tried to. I, oh, I tried to, to buy Lizovs from, from your patron face to face the other day, and they told me, "Oops, they aren't in stock after all." So uh, we're working well. that out. The uh, the thing about Crooks is it's similar to Elspeth, right? You can currently <laughs> get them nine, ten bucks. If we're wrong, and it's better than we expect, and it you know looks like it's going to win a tournament one weekend, we'll just throw them in the cart then. Like we, the, the Elder Giants were not underestimated; they were. <laughs> very much identified as potential powerhouses um when they were revealed they were estimated their, their price was has reflected that along the way now the gap has opened between uro and Kruxa because everybody's fully aware that a simic's been broken all year b uro slots in all over the place um so you know i think dan's read that it's it's a role player in a specific deck and we don't know that that deck's going to get there consistently Makes a lot of sense to me. So that's just about having someone in the cart ready to go if and when it becomes relevant. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with keeping this like on the back burner. This is not a card that I really want to buy and sit on and ho- and expect to get paid at some point. People have been buying these extended art foils at like $80. That seems very bad. Like Ugh. That seems incredible. Now, now that now that we've seen what happened with Eldraine extended arts that weren't in super high demand, um, I'm very confident that the only extended arts you want to be touching are for cards that are being completely underestimated or don't have their shells yet. Stuff that everybody knows is good is going to come out the gates too expensive, and then fall off a cliff as people's collector boosters actually start getting cracked. Which didn't happen at pre-release last weekend for the most part, but will be happening a week from now. Yep. All right. Uh, Ashiok Nightmare Muse, the five mana planeswalker, um, is plus one. He spits out a two three uh, with your opponent exiling cards when you attack. Uh, minus three bounces something, and then that player exiles a card. So if they have zero cards in hand, it exiles a permanent. Per- Nonline permanent permanently other than that it just balances it um and then he's got an ultimate but uh the power level here is it seems fine enough um for a five mana walker what but not thrilling what do you think here uh the the pro- the problem with this ashiok is that their minus three is not very good it's not a permanent answer uh unless there's zero cards in hand um, and the power in, in this card lies in the plus one. Uh, the fact that this Ashok pluses to six and puts a two, three into play with some amount of upside. Two, three is like a pretty weird stat line where I'm not entirely sure how to evaluate putting a bunch of two threes into play because we don't see two threes in constructed quite all that often. Um, 
So I, I'm a little tentative on this Ashiok. Maybe, maybe it's a good iteration, but uh, I'm reluctant to think that a Planeswalker in this style, the like five mana, five uh, five loyalty with a minus three that like removes a plus one that grants you some form of, of advantage. Uh, I, I hesitate to think that this is a good iteration of that kind of Planeswalker because the plus one doesn't actually draw cards and the minus three doesn't actually permanently answer anything. Historically, with these kinds of cards, it has done one or or both of these things. This one does neither. I, so, I will say this. Based on... I didn't think anything of this. Like, I had this on the same page as Calyx, Destiny's Hand, as just kind of a, eh, probably not going to get there, even in Standard. Then I saw streamers actually running it in Shells, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> this card's fine. Like, it goes to six, then seven. It dropped a blocker both times. The thing that's attacking yeah. into it at that point can probably kill it, but they had to, at minimum, waste some cards to clear this problem off the board, and in the meantime, you're doing other things. And because they're yeah, and because they're running their thought erasures and, so, and counter spells and so forth in the early game, they do have the potential to fend off the aggro strategies for long enough to get this down, and then you only got to get it to seven before you can start to do some really silly things. So... If I had to choose between Ashiok, Kroxa, and Elspeth at $10, I'd probably be leaning towards Ashiok, to be honest. However, it's not clear to me that the meta accommodates the shell that this is being tested in yet. And this isn't $10, it's $23. So at $23, I want no part of this. Okay. Yeah, peace. No thanks. <laughs> All right, so rounding the corner back to Dream Trawler. Did you spot this early? Were you surprised as it turned to the corner into greatness? I I realized that I shouldn't have been surprised, uh, but I also realized I didn't really read the card in that. I didn't really notice it at lifelink the first time I read it. <laughs> There's a lot of text on this card, so that's uh, that's my excuse. Two, two uh, episodes ago, I flagged it as, yeah, this is, maybe isn't exciting, but like I, it was the week where I had just gone undefeated at FNM in Pioneer playing Jeskai Dragons. And I was like, this this yeah. looks a lot like Ojitai. Like, but a better Ojitai? When I first, yeah. When I first read this card, I thought, oh, I'm going to lose to this a lot in Limited. This is going <laughs> to suck. Why is this only a rare? Why does it have Hexproof? God, I hate Hexproof. Why do they keep this on the cards with Hexproof? But uh, it took me quite a while to realize that this was Baneslayer with Hexproof with Upside. Yeah. Uh, that's messed up <laughs> i would guess that I, why, why why would they do i would that? guess the two things that threw people off is the double white double green double double white double blue six total casting cost and three five i think is just one of those power toughness templates that when you spot it you go nah that's that's limited yeah actually it's a five five right <laughs> um it has a lifelink and is hexproof right <laughs> okay <laughs> You're... Uh, yeah, this card's this card's insane. I'm probably gonna play it. Yeah, kudos yeah, to the people. Yeah, but it doesn't have protections from demons and dragons, so like <laughs> it's not as good as Bane. Oh, sorry, my bad. It's just, I guess it's bad then. Listen, kudos. I had a Bane Slayer. <laughs> I've lost a game after with a Bane Slayer because my opponent had Bogard and Hellkite, and I couldn't block the damn thing. <laughs> so financially, congratulations to the people that were spotted this real early in the streaming game and scooped a brick of these in Europe at like a dollar. Those guys are going to get their buy list exit for sure. Um, I could see this being a, I don't know, 4 to $8 card. 
in the near future. Yeah, it being just a rare is like a blessing for me who doesn't own mm-hmm. it yet. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Dream Traveler likely to do some work. Do you, could you see this making its way into, say, Pioneer? Or is there just way too much well, Esper Planeswalker action well, at all, this like casting cost to ever consider it? It's already won a Pioneer Challenge. Oh. So <laughs> there were three copies of it in the oh, sideboard. Oh, right, 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 the, the sideboard. Yeah, we saw that list uh, from, when we were recording yeah, earlier. This, that, okay, and if, if you didn't know that, that player is Kiyom Wafotapa, who's one of the best control players ever. And uh, uh, if he's playing a bunch of that card in the sideboard, it means you're supposed to play a bunch of that card in your sideboard because he is a large-brained genius. Right. So I've also I've also never beaten him because he's so good. <laughs> then again, isn't he the one that wears that hat? No, that's a different uh, French. That's slogan. oh, that's, that's Nassif, Nassif, right? Nassif, <laughs> that's Nassif. <laughs> the uh... Uh, but neither neither of them are capable of finishing their rounds on time, and they are both French. <laughs> <laughs> so extended arts for Dream Trawler are available around eight or nine bucks. I don't hate that. Yeah, I'm going to buy those tomorrow. I mean, if we're talking about... Because I want to play with them. <laughs> the non-EAs are like four bucks, right? Yeah. So that seems real real good. Because the thing about Control mm-hmm. is, if it's good enough in Pioneer, this kind of card doesn't come around that often. Like, it's been five years since Ojutai. So... For them to, you know, push this to the point where you get two Black Lotuses when it comes into play, which I'd estimate is about 2022, um, you know, you're, you're going to get, <laughs> you're rate. probably going to get a solid exit uh, in the interim. I mean, this these extended arts could slide in the next few weeks, but heavy standard play could also just push it up. Yeah. I'd probably dip my toe in the water. I, I'd be comfortable getting four of these for $32 or something. As a, as a starting point on this card. I will be buying them to play with them. All right. <laughs> so, final card. Buying magic cards to play with them? Ugh. <laughs> yeah, what year is this? I mean, normally I can make fun of myself, but I've actually played two weeks out of the last four, so I'm not doing too bad. Wow. Nice. Um, Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath. Is, the, is this the most powerful card on this list, Dan? So, I don't understand what goes on at Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> I, they they were intending this card to be printed in a format where uh, Oko was present. Once upon a time, Oko, Nissa, Hydroid Crisis, <laughs> uh, Growth Spiral, uh, Veil of Summer. <laughs> All these cards were supposed to be legal. And then they were going to say, ah, well, let's just make an obviously rusted blue-green card. What, what does it do, uh, Mark Rosewater? Ah, well, I can't do a Mark Rosewater impression. Ah, wow, well, you see. <laughs> <laughs> it costs three mana. <laughs> that's, that's, that's mean. I shouldn't do this. <laughs> uh, okay, what's it do? It gains you life. All right, that's sick. That's sick. Okay, it draws you a card. All right, that's sick. That's sick. All right, it goes to your graveyard, so it fuels graveyard synergies. All right, that's sick. All right, what else can it do? Oh, it should also ramp you. All right, that's sick. What else? Oh, it's a 6-6. Six, six. All right, what else? You can play it from your graveyard. <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This card to me is just obviously pushed. It's absurd. Uh, it will be a format staple in every format that can sustain it. Do you think modern 
has room for this. I, I think I saw a yeah. single copy in Primeval Titan decks this week in a couple of lists. Yeah, so you could play this in Amulet if you really want to. I don't think you're supposed to. But uh, if the metagame keeps having kind of non-Amulet, type, like Titan decks that are not Amulet in them, then uh, those decks should probably have a row in them. I'm not as excited about it in Modern as I am in like Modern, sorry, in Pioneer and Standard, but it's, I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous card. It's definitely playable. Financially speaking, it was probably, it, it never really had a chance. I think there may have been some like copies close to $10 on Star City when they first launched them, but they sold out instantly and then just scaled up from there. Um, hasn't been cheap anywhere since. Currently at about $26. It's at least a tri-format mythic. Standard Pioneer and EDH will want this card for ages. Very, It's fairly unique, um, but does something that's relatively generic in its most basic form. So I'd expect it to see play all over the place. I, I, I'll i take another look at it at peak supply, I guess. Um, because current pricing is just... This could be the mythic that gets to 40, right? Yeah, it's the most likely candidate, too. It's just like an obviously busted card. The- this is a weird. Sorry, thing. B- busted might be pushing it just way above yeah, rate. Way above rate. This this is a weird thing to say because I think this card is top two of best cards in the set and standard. But I I don't love it for Pioneer honestly, um, and even less so for formats older than that. It feels like it's a a really good card on rate for a standard environment, but in Pioneer, it's I get the sense that it's not impressive enough but i i don't know that's i yeah, i don't know maybe i'm totally wrong apparently turn one land of war elves turn two uro turn three nissa yeah turn four crisis so it's, that's pretty extend good. the hand say good games they were easy. it has already five owed <laughs> leagues in niv to light and pioneer uh titan Fe- oh yeah that deck exists too <laughs> yeah that's crazy Tit- titan field and modern uh something called stiffro pile Stri- <laughs> oh right, Stripe Stripe was playing one in Legacy. <laughs> what does that so mean? That, that deck, yeah, that deck is like four plus color control. It's uh, it's a variation on the old check pile deck that eventually became that like it was like that four color, uh, death right shaman right, right, right. uh, deck. But there's specifically this guy named Strifeo who five is like every week with some just absolute pile of cards seemingly assembled at random. Yeah, it's like... And this week's iteration of Strifo Pile had an Uro in it, so maybe it's a legacy staple. So Who for knows? the record, this deck is two Snapcaster, a Brazen Borer, two Plague Engineer, one Uro, one Ox of Agonos, three Dak Faden, two Oko, one Jace the Mind Sculptor, four oh, Brainstorm, yeah. two Cling to Dust, one Fatal Push, one Lightning Bolt... Cling to Dust! Yeah. What is what even one, is that card? One lightning bolt, four ponder, four assassin's trophy, two drown in the lock, three punishing fire, one toxic deluge, four force of will, and the normal accoutrement on Cl- the land side. Cling to dust is a black uncommon from this set. It costs one mana. It exiles a card from uh, a grave an opponent's graveyard. Wait, exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a creature card, you gain three life. Otherwise, you draw a card. Escape four mana, exile five other cards. So it's like a cantrip that's great, maybe graveyard hate that is in Strifo Pile's late game. <laughs> Can escape to draw additional cards. It's one of those decks where I look at it and I'm like, yeah, I'm not smart enough to play that deck. 
It's this legacy deck with like four different escape cards in it. It's so funny. Who's who's building a legacy deck? Like, oh, you know what? I feel like I really need is a cling the dust. I need two cling the dusts in this list. That's what Strifo. this is missing. Strifo. This guy is. My we hero. know exactly who it is. It's Strifo. So, this guy is my hero. So the other the other legend. reason we're probably going to see more Uro in Pioneer is Collected Company because Uro has is three casting costs. So there's already yeah. a banned ban sure. creatures list with collected companies and the Teferi Time Raveler that has 5-0'd a league as of January 20th. So I, I'm not so sure if that deck wants Uro, but yeah, it could. Um, so yeah, I, this card's going to be around for a while. Um, pretty strong, too expensive. Moving right along, let's talk about some cards for Pioneer. I'd argue that the one at the bottom of the list, this list, Thassa's Intervention, could have been on the standard list. People have been talking about it. You want to give us your take on why this card is at least worth worth a look, Dan? Yeah, so uh, this card comes from a an interesting place for control decks in Pioneer. Um, it reminds me the most of Supreme Will, in that Supreme Will is th- a three-mana instant that was Impulse or Counter unless they pay three. So Impulse or Mana Leak, split card for three mana. And that card was always kind of around in Standard and I guess now in Pioneer as well. In that it fulfills a, a very interesting dual role for blue decks in that it's able to counter things that are very problematic or otherwise uh, provide some kind of velocity and kind of further your game plan. Thassa's Intervention is a much stronger version of that kind of card. So it's it's X blue blue uh, instant, choose one, look at the top X cards, put two of them into your hand. Like, so dig for X number of cards uh, or counter a spell unless they pay twice X. So for three mana, it's uh, counter unless they pay two. For four mana, it's draw two or counter unless they pay four. Uh, or for even later on in the game, it can be a hard counter or a, a dig through time of its own. Um, so this card is great, not because of just the, the sheer raid on it. Like the raid on either ability is... The, the rate's not impressive on either ability. It's not efficient at doing either of the two things. But it also does everything in control deck could possibly want. It can disrupt, and then it can gain you that card advantage that you need to turn the corner. Because uh, blue-white control decks, especially in Pioneer, have to hit their land drops on turns. It's important for you to hit your sixth land drop. It's important for you to hit your seventh land drop. Especially when you have mana sinks that are very powerful from uh, the last set in Castle Ardenvale and Castle Vantress. So making sure that there are these cards in your deck that draw you cards and gain you that card advantage while also uh, not ending up with a deck full of divinations that doesn't do anything is very important. And this card kind of slots in very perfectly into that role in Pioneer. Uh, however, because it's bad, it's like not a powerful card, it has no real potential role in Modern, where it's just it's just too weak, it's too slow, it's garbage. Um, and Standard doesn't have control decks of the same variety. It doesn't have kind of like blue-white... Uh, land-to-go strategies like Pioneer does. So it's a very specific card that I think has a very important role in blue-white Pioneer that won't see much play elsewhere. But it's good. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Can the argument be made that this is going to displace Dig Through Time in some Pioneer shells because of its functionality on turns 3, 4, 5, where Dig might not be ready to go off yet? Um... I see it possible that, like, if you're playing, like, 2000's Intervention, maybe you don't want to play more than, like, two Dig Through Times or something. But Dig Through Time is a pretty messed up card, and costing just two mana is pretty crucial, because you could have situations where it's, like, turn six or whatever, you have six lands in play, you're, like, you dig, you find a Wrath, and then, like, a Planeswalker for later, 
these are the kinds of things that you don't like powerful turns so you don't get to take with Thassa's intervention because it's a low power level card so you want a couple of them because it kind of shores up the numbers of both divinations and counter spells in your deck but you don't want it to be your primary late game game plan because it's not actually powerful you want to be doing something powerful so would you imagine that you're picturing this pioneer control deck is it running just two Thassa's intervention two dig neither or four of yeah, sure. We can even look at that winning list again. Uh, wait, no, this one didn't have that. <laughs> right, well, yeah, Waffle Tafa obviously is playing a nonsense uh, mixture of cards, including one Sphinx's Revelation, three Glimmer of Genius, and two Take Through Times. But if he was a reasonable player, those Glimmer of Geniuses would instead be Thassa's Intervention. <laughs> Whatever this there there was a blue-black list that went 5-0 on January 20th that was... Three Jace Friends Prodigy, two Scarab God, two Torrential Gear Hulk, a Liliana the Last Hope, four Fatal Push, four Thought Seize, three Cast Down, three Disdainful Stroke, three Thassa's Intervention, three Heroes Downfall, a Mystical Dispute, two Vraska's Contempt, two Dig Through Time, and a Search for Azkanta. So that's that's about the kind of shell I was picturing in terms of structure, but on the blue white side. Sure, I'm not as big a fan of it in that deck because it's a Torrential Gear Hulk deck, and this card obviously does literally nothing with Torrential Gear Hulk. Uh, in a Gearhulk deck, I'd like to see more focus on Dig Through Times, but yeah, it's like fine. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's already 5 0 in multiple shells in Pioneer, so it seems like, yeah. you know, seems reasonable to be on this list. At $1.50, I don't love it. You can get bricks in Europe around like 0. 0.6 euro. Um, that could get there. Give it, a, get a, give it a while. It's probably a longer term play, and you're looking to like exit to a buy list at like $1.25 from 50 cents or something. I could see this card ending up in uh, blue combo decks. Uh, there's always in formats like this some some kind of thing. Like uh, right now, it's Lotus Field. Earlier, it was uh, uh, Nexus of Fate. There's always just some blue deck that can want to counterspell in turn three. That could also want to draw a card in turn three or something. And this card could slot into those decks. So it could potentially end up in like a bunch of different blue decks in Pioneer, which could drive the price up. But. Uh, yeah, $1.50 seems like a reasonable price for the card as is. So, Alright, so moving right along. How about Kunaros Hound of Athreos? I also had this in my, my uh, sealed pool last weekend, and it also did work. Another creature that is, you know, a card on rate, quite good. Just kind of needs the right decks to be trying to work against, right? Yeah, pretty much. The I think the upside of this card is that it has a, basically it has a, a Grafdigger's Cage element on it, just only the graveyard half, not the deck half. But it's a 3-mana, three 3-3 three, three Vigilance mana Slife Link. So what that means in a format like Pioneer or even in uh, Standard is that in a metagame where graveyard decks that this card interacts with, Grafdigger's Cage doesn't necessarily interact with every graveyard deck. Oops, dropping stuff. Um... <laughs> In uh, relatively low-powered formats where there are graveyard decks that uh, this interacts with, you can play the second your sorry you can play this card in your main deck, and that's uh, pretty significant. Uh, in Pioneer, there's a little problem where there's also Rest in Peace legal. So if you're looking for like a very efficient graveyard, hate peace in your sideboard, this isn't where you're going. But uh, I could see situations where this ends up being like a good main deck card that kind of gets around in multiple formats. You're basically waiting for the moment where Dredge is a very real threat. Or something along those lines. Yeah, and then you can main deck yeah. this. And that's sick. Assuming that there's some shell that isn't trash built up around it. So 
Yeah, you can also get this off of Coca. I, I'm willing to bet this gets down to real bulk status, and then maybe gets a moment I, to shine. It will. <laughs> yeah, I do like that. This is just a keyword soup that feels like it. At least one of them will be relevant in most games, and it just gets to play that obnoxious, like basically good enough to be main deckable in some low to the ground depth and taxes type thing and the rules yeah. taxes is just randomly very relevant against certain opponents i definitely like that angle on this nope yeah i, I could see this seeing play in like eldrazi and taxes or something in modern even like it's a pretty relevant card nobody has like there's no lists <laughs> on this card pay, card yeah. page on goldfish so it's it's a strong card without a home at, at present um how about Nick's Lotus? I felt like I spotted this early. It's like when I saw this, I said, "That's just Nick those trying to Nick's." Like in a good devotion deck, that's yeah, sure, it doesn't do anything when it comes in, but when it untaps, it's making four, five, six, seven mana. Does this do anything yeah. for you? If like, you're do you, look, you see this in Pioneer? Uh, uh to be perfectly honest, no, not really. This is the kind of card that doesn't interest me. Uh, these kinds of like monocolored big stuff decks that this kind of card is looking for uh, never really tickle my fancy, and that's because I think that they tend to be bad. The especially when it comes to low powered for relatively low powered formats like Pioneer, monocolored decks generally don't have all the sets of answers that they need, and for a card like this, you need to be going long enough. So maybe you want in like a Thoughtseize deck or something, but like. Ramp plus Thoughtseize is bad. I, I don't know. There's just a lot of problems towards cards like this being competitive, and I have I see this card as a casual card, which is way outside of my wheelhouse. Listen, in the standard challenge on January 18th, someone ran four of these and went one and four. So clearly, the card yeah. has, inten- has like massive potential. As I said, casual. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I'm a casual now, so it's fine. It's cool um, to be At casual. $7, I don't want to touch these non-foils. Uh, yeah. Moving along. Woe Strider. First free sack out that we've seen in a while. Uh, $2. This is for a... Is it a 3-2 for 3? Does that sound right? You get... Uh, yeah, 3-2 so. for 3. When it comes enters the battlefield, you get a 0-1 goat token. Sack a creature, yeah, sack creature you scry 1. Escape for 5 and 4 cards. And when it escapes, it gets 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters and becomes a 5-4. And you get another goat and get to scry at least one more time. Yeah. This... Uh... This card's cool. Aristocrats and pioneers. Uh, if you're looking, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for like a, a rally the ancestors style deck, then uh, this is probably a card that fits into it. It's probably better than Antuco Husk or whatever on average, and uh, Scrying One is good. But all I have to say about this, it, it's a card without without much of a home at the moment. But uh, I can totally see a world in which it has a home. Is, is this the first free sack outlet in Pioneer? Uh, no, because Husk is legal there, right? Uh, Husk right. is Origins? Yeah, so Husk's in Origins. Yeah, yeah, okay. But Nantuko Husk dies to shock. Right. I guess this one also dies to shock, yeah. but it's not like literally a blank. It comes back from the graveyard. You get a 0-1. You get a scry. All right, so somebody tabled a deck they called Abzan Rally Istocrats. <laughs> as a 5-0 in Pioneer just this afternoon. Uh, four Hunted Witness, four Stitcher Supplier, three Thraben Inspector, two Cartel Aristocrat, 
That's one of the other sack outlets in the format. Four Cruel Celebrant, four Seder Wayfinder, four Voice of Resurgence, two Zulaport Cutthroat, four Woe Strider, three Rally the Ancestors, and four Return to the Ranks. Rally and Return. One Abzan Ascendancy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure about this one, but uh, if it becomes good, then that uh, that Hound from the last card, <laughs> Kunoro Sound of Athros, <laughs> sure sounds nice. A lot better. <laughs> Uh, yeah. the, you've also, they've also <clears throat> seen more of it in the Rakdos Witches Oven brews and standard, which I, where I think it's much more likely to just be a constant presence, right? This is the like Cauldron yeah, Familiar Gutter Bones, Priest of Forgotten Gods, Two Rick's Matty Reveler, Mayhem Devil, Midnight Reaper. Woe Strider making that little goat really leans into Priest of Forgotten Gods pretty well. Cause that's the tap sack two creatures. And then any number of target players each lose two life, sack a creature. You add two black and draw a card. <laughs> Value. Uh, yeah, so one rankle, four claim the firstborn. That is the Eldraine uh, threaten effect for creatures three or less. Uh, for one mana, by the way. I didn't even know that card existed. Four witches oven and one a crow in war. And uh, decks of that style have been 5-0-ing. More or less consistently last couple days. Four ones, five O's. So yeah, I, I, I figure between between EDH and Standard providing strong demand and then a smattering of play in Pioneer, I wouldn't mind having uh, some of the extended arts when they get cheap enough for the long haul. All right, talk to me about Clothis God of Destiny, which knocked me out of uh, the pre-release last weekend. So, what if I told you that your Deathrite Shaman cost three mana? Boo. But it was indestructible. Yay. Yeah. Well, that's it. It's Clothis, God of Destiny. What if I told you they were printing <laughs> green cards red cards <laughs> that drain life? The I would be unhappy. <laughs> I would be unhappy with the state of magic design. Oh wow! I am. <laughs> what a surprise! Um, yeah, I don't know. This this is a good card. It's not a great card, but it's a good card. This feels like a one or a two of uh, in Pioneer and Modern, right? Goes in Jundi yeah, sure. stuff. Remember, you can Coco into it. Oh, that's true too. Yeah. <laughs> My problem with this is yeah, that it doesn't do anything until turn four. Like you play it in turn three, and it does nothing. Sure, but also in Pioneer, you can play it on turn two. Oh, yeah so <clears throat> i what i what i got wrecked but, by I've, I've played against this card like once or twice total and it was both times it was blood braid into it in modern right and uh it just murked me completely really yeah yeah i'll, I'll give you that list Five O on the 21st four arbor elf two clothis four magus magus of the moon four season pyromancer four blood braid elf four glory bringer Two Inferno Titan, two Chandra Torch of Defiance, a Chandra Awakened Inferno, that's from last summer's core set, six mana. Not sure about that uh, one. Four Lightning Bolt, four Once Upon a Time, and four Utopia Sprawl. Okay, this this deck was Jund, that's uh, Ponza, but... I do love... <laughs> Still, either way, sprawl. this this is where I kind of like that, kind of like this card. Sure, it's also probably fine in Pioneer. The problem with it is that it needs Graveyard Synergies to matter, because that's what it beats up on. Uh, yeah, in, in, Pi in yeah, Pioneer... I don't know. I see this card being good. In Pioneer, the winning list is four Experiment 1, four Pelt Collector, four Burning Tree Emissary, Voltaic Brawler, Zerta Goblin, 
Four Bone Crusher Giant. That card's so good. Three Grill Spellbreaker, two Clothis, four Gorkland Rampager, one Domri Anarch of Bolas, and two Collision Colossus, two Embercleave. Sure, that seems yeah, reasonable. So onesie, z here and there. Multi-format play. EDH will play it because you can get rid of problematic yeah. things in the graveyard. And and that's uh, two damage to each opponent on the trigger, so that's certainly going to see some Ooh. EDH play. Better than it would have been there, I suppose. I mean, it feels like it's probably not even playable on EDH, or it's unimpressive in EDH generally without that clause. All right, Dryad of the Elysian Grove. This one's pretty obvious. Ooh. I don't think anybody is <laughs> surprised to see this card doing work. Yeah. Yeah, wait, so you're telling me this prismatic omen? Yeah, omen. Whatever, whatever that card is called. Omen. <laughs> I ref- I will first off. I will never learn. I will not improve. Fair. <laughs> Do not tell me. <laughs> um, <laughs> wait. You mean if you put that card onto Azusa and then give it four toughness, that it would be good? <laughs> Damn. Yeah. This this card's this card's great. So, uh, I'm not sure how relevant it actually is in like Pioneer, where uh, there's a huge abundance of ramp effects and, and the, no primeval type. The prismatic fist. Yeah, there's no primeval tent. There's no Valica. There's uh... Field of the Dead, banned, right? It's yeah, field, it's field... I, I mean Field of the Dead less less. Is Field banned in Pioneer? Also, still no Field right. of the Dead. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is not legal. Um, where this card is really truly exciting is in is in Modern and Primeval Titan decks with Valica and uh, specifically in Amulet Titan, which now gets to play Valica. <laughs> so. Yeah, this card's this card's sick, but I don't know how relevant it is. So I've seen it in a few more classical looking Valakit decks, but check out this one. This is a Bant flavored one. Four Elvish Reclaimer, four Secura Tribe Elder, four Dryad of the Legion Grove, one Spring Bloom Druid, four Primeval Titan, four Once Upon a Time, one Mwanvali Acid Moss, four Scape Shift, one Supreme Verdict, and three Bring Delight. I just beat this deck earlier today. For Fago, yeah. with my own dryads of the Elysian Grove in Amulet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you're not impressed? Yeah, this card's this card's good. Yeah. So dryads are at eleven dollars. Feel like you want to wait till peak supply, and then you do snap them up because this feels like a, a future twenty-five to thirty dollar rare, right? Like a couple Absolutely. years down the road, maybe. But yeah, a they don't print these effects on the same card very often, so unlikely to be displaced. And it's got a lot going for it in four different formats. Going to see some standard play at Imagine. Pioneer doesn't really have, you know, the uh, surrounding compatriots yet, but I would imagine down the road it probably will. And then Modern Plus Commander is probably enough. I agree. Good card. I wonder, I wonder what extended arts are going for. My guess would be like 25 to 30, something like that. If you're lucky. Probably. Let's see. I'm, I'm guessing Card Kingdom, for instance, would be sold out. But No, they're asking 40. They got in stock. 40's real high for a rare extended art. But get back to yeah, me in six nice. weeks and tell me what the price is. Because th- this one strikes me as like the Emery of the set. It's the ultra-busted three-mana card with a bunch of obvious synergies. And Emery, people were going wild for Emery Extended Arts early, and it turned out that they were jumping the gun. 
and they had plenty of time to get in on them later. Burrow's on the top in the top three on this list. We've already talked about that. Gonna do some work. Um, Heliod Suncrowned combo. Imp- impressive. So I was you. a naysayer about this. I was a naysayer about this card initially. Um, I felt that the combination with Walking Ballista was not fast enough for the Pioneer format. Huh? Really? Too easily disrupted by Fatal Push or whatever, uh, and just generally. Not something that I was particularly interested in. However, it has been putting up some results. I'm not sure if... It's hard to really kind of measure how much... How many results it's putting up, given that 5-0 lists are no longer like a... You can only see one copy of each deck. They're curated, yeah. And, yeah, there are prelims now, which just switched the... Swung the pendulum back a little bit on that, but... I'm seeing this as a deck that exists, not as something that's dominant or in any way broken... And I don't think it has much of a home outside of specifically that like mono white combo deck. But so here's I'm I would be reluctant to buy this card at twenty three dollars. Here's the thing. Yeah, I, I've seen it on stream in a bunch of different things. Uh, one of them was just the uh, green white combo deck that was already in modern, which is yet another condo, combo stuffed into it because they already had a, a walking ballista in there anyway, and they can combo off with sure. either spike feeder or walking ballista into the heliod so yeah that sounds reasonable. yeah so with like finale of devastations or quarter callings or collective companies depending on your build you actually have quite a few ways to go crazy and i think it was maybe uh zan syed saeed um was that like nine and one or something when i caught up to him on stream and somebody else in his chat was at 23 and two with the deck or something like that yeah, and likely. that's not even the only the only versions that have put up results recently. There was on the 20, 20th, somebody 5 0 in Pioneer with uh, Kethis that was running the combo. <laughs> um, you're running three Heliod Suncrowned and three Walking Ballista, four Hopagiriper, four Diligent Excavator, two Lazav, one Thassa's Oracle, four Emery, three Heliod, four Kethis, two Tashar, Ancestor's Apostle. Four Teferi Time Raveler, a Soren Vengeful Bloodlord, that seems odd there, two Grizzly Salvage, and four Mox Amber. I mean, that's just a pile of powerful cards. Yeah, I mean, the card uh, definitely has potential. It's. I, can I say, I'm I'm a little surprised that you think, and I, I, don't, I don't say surprised, like, to be rude, I'm just wouldn't have anticipated it that you that you find pioneer that you think uro is going to be vi- very viable in pioneer but you think the heliod walking ballista combo is too slow because um so the heliod walking ballista combo necessitates the fastest you can do it is turn five and that's assuming all of your pieces live including a walking ballista that's just a two two uh and normally it's going to be taking place on like turn six Turn six is the turn where you can play the the ballista on to activate Heliod and then start shooting, right? The the thing with Uro is that Uro fits into a very different kind of deck in that you're playing it on turn two off of a mana dork, and then it's allowing you to then play Ness on turn three or something. Um, it's also a card that is on its own just a cantrip. It's just it's just draw a card, put a land into play. Um, with a bunch of other upside, obviously. Whereas Heliod, on its own, is uh, blank. It's just do anything. It gives things lifelink. Like, who cares? 
It's a build-around card that needs to be in a very specific kind of deck, a kind of deck that I typically don't like and don't think is very good. Uh, it could be that it's good enough and that it tilts the scale, but um, that two-card combo is not fast. Okay. I mean, that's, fi- that, that's fine. That's fine. That's a fine answer, and I wasn't challenging you. It was just not the answer I would have expected, you know? Here. Let's Here, fight. Here's here's the modern deck. Here's the modern deck <laughs> okay. that I saw doing really well. Some in somebody else's hands went six and one in the modern challenge on January eighteenth. A walking ballista, two birds of paradise, four giver of runes, and four ranger captain of Eos, is, which is part of how they make sure that combo sticks. Uh, four noble hierarch, two Viscera seer, three anathenza kintry spirit, um, four heliod, four kitchen finks, and four spike feeder. So I guess that's actually three ways to combo off, right? Kitchen Finks combos off with Heliod 2? No. He- Kitchen Finks combos off with Anafenza, right? Uh, Kitchen Finks and Anafenza. Yeah, because Kitchen... Anafenza puts a 1-1 counter on it when it comes back into play. Yeah, I think it would work with Heliod as well. You just need a sack outlet. Well, it was Heliod actually sick. Yeah, they use the, the Viscera Seer. <laughs> I guess you would need the Seer in play too in, in that case. Yeah, as long as you have a sack out, that Heliod will turn you into infinite life with a kitchen. And then I guess the other thing they have going Uh, for them is... This deck is really hope... Sorry, go ahead. Just saying that for once upon a time, for as long as that lasts in modern, (laughs) is going to make any deck better. That card should should not survive. Uh, This this deck seems cool, but so long as we're in a metagame where Primeval Titan is the best deck, I would not recommend it. Is that where you think we are? Yeah, I think Amulet's busted. Seems to be a lot of versions, and they're all doing well. Yeah, exactly. Like you can, I think you can play without any of the new cards, and it's still the best deck. Then you add the new cards, and it becomes the best best deck. All right, I guess the the card I skipped over here, uh, Thassa's Oracle. Uh, yeah. I mean, it puts a uh, Lap Maniac into Pioneer, so that's cool. If that's the kind of thing you're interested in doing. I'm not, but if you are, that's cool. <laughs> You're not interested in doing anything fun, Dan. <laughs> no, I, I like winning. You just want to cast like a major ca- dream trawl or whatever. Boring. Oh god, yeah. Bane Slayer with Hexproof that draws a card every turn. Hell yeah, I think good. Oracle is going to do busted yeah. stuff in a bunch of different formats because of what, how easily it can win at instant speed if you need it to. At, at with instant speed if you needed to, because I mean it's it's just it's just a better lab. Yeah, deck. I think it, it's it's a tool in a different kind of deck. It's just like a finisher. But right? it also I don't think you're ever building around Thassa's Oracle. You're using Thassa's Oracle as a convenient way to end the game in a in a deck that uh, otherwise doesn't literally win the game on its own, like Neobrand or Ad Nauseam or something. Well, it's a tricky card, because I think in, like, Thassa Deep Dwelling decks and Standard and or Pioneer, like, Mono Blue Devotion style decks. Man, we're really, we're really milling 60 cards. No, 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 I'm, no, in that case, it's just that you're, you're blinking this thing and getting card advantage over and over again. And it, and, it's not card and it provides two pits. It's card selection. It's just selection, though. You don't draw the card. Sure. But we've seen 1-3s that, that do less than this be fully playable like in last theros sure i mean in yeah people played a one three that scribe two for right. two mana but it wasn't good <laughs> this is obviously way better but again we're in like kind of a different a different era of magic where put just putting random one power things on board doesn't actually progress the game in any meaningful way 
I, I could be wrong, but especially as it comes to like Pioneer and Modern, this card is a, a means to an end rather than an integral part of the strategy. So, as far as I can tell, it's already put up results in Legacy, Modern, Standard, and Pioneer. It's slotted into yeah, Ad Nauseam and Modern, Kethis Combo and Pioneer, Mono Blue Devotion and Pioneer, Breach Lotus Storm apparently runs it. Mono Blue Devotion and Pioneer. Come on. Come on. That, that one is a 5-0 five, no list from the 20th. Two Harbinger of Tides, four Merfolk Trickster, four Thassa's Oracle, four no, Brazen Borrower, no. three Caliphae, Beloved of the Sea, four Gadwick the Wizened, three Thassa, God of the Sea, four Master of Waves, four Wizards Retort, and four Leyline of Anticipation. Oh, that's something. With two Castle of Ventress, 18 Islands, and four Nykthos Shrine to Nyx. Um, the other one is the Breach Lotus Storm in Pioneer. This is four Baral, Chief of Compliance, one Goblin Electromancer, just one Thassa's Oracle. But four Opt, two Cathartic Reunion, four Compelling Argument, four Hidden Strings, four Strategic Planning, one un- Unsubstantiate, one Dig Through Time, four Discovery Dispersal, and two Chronic Flooding, four Underworld Breach, and of course it's a Lotus Field deck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not not really not really you're not, you're not feeling that lotus storm actually. this stuff could yeah th- this stuff could all be reasonably powerful but uh like oh, i think every good thassa's oracle deck is just going to have one copy of it in it randomly could be true and yeah and it's not like lab maniac was like a super expensive chase staple card because of it right Thassa's oracle is already four bucks and that's because of people's people really liking it and like these mono blue decks but I don't think these mono blue decks are actually any good and actually have any future. Uh, the the power level that they represent just isn't something that's existed in standard and or pioneer as of late. Um, and I'm just not, yeah, I'm not excited about those decks, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy into this okay. card. I finishing up this list, we had Underworld Breach again. Um, we just talked about a list that was running it, so certainly. The thing about this card is that Still in any given format, even if it turns out the the deck people are trying to bust doesn't get there in the short term, they're just going to get more pieces of the puzzle down the road. Like, it, it should. This kind yeah. of thing is so open-ended in terms of how it can be abused that it just feels like it gets ends, ends up abused pretty much everywhere. Um, So here's the thing. This is the first time we've had to have pioneer and modern evaluated side by side the modern list that we put together looks pretty much the same um with relatively <laughs> few changes the only card that jumps out at me as being probably good in modern at some point but not necessarily so in pioneer is ox of agonas this is a pretty busted dredge card right yeah so i think a lot of we pretty much covered pretty the, the majority of the cards in this set and how they apply to modern already kind of in in a splash, as we've talked about the other ones. But Oxyvagonas is the only card that I think really stands out as a modern and maybe legacy or whatever uh, staple card, where Ox is a really insane card in Dredge. So it has Escape Red Red and then eight cards or something, and then it's Discard Your Hand, Draw Three. On a 5-3. I think. Yeah, on a a 5-3. That's really good. (laughs) I, that that's like a that's playing uh oh god what's it called the discard two draw three for red and one it's a sorcery no god there's so many of those i can't keep them straight anymore 
No, it's specifically whatever. Um, that cathartic it's a very reunion? good. Yeah, cathartic reunion. Cathartic reunion is like an essential card in Dredge, and this does it from your graveyard. This thing that Dredge loves to do. So, <laughs> this is a pretty essential card. Um, it also comes into play from your graveyard, which can trigger uh, prize amalgam. Like, yeah, this is this is the truth. It's insane in Dredge. You should play it in your Dredge deck. At, I, at $8, I guess at $8 however, given how narrow it is, as a rare, I'd have no interest. As a mythic? Yeah, I think it goes down a bit from this price, though, because I don't think it has much of an application kind of anywhere else. Uh, maybe it's like a random card you want in a red deck and stand. Nah, never mind. The Experimental Frenzy is still legal. There's no way you could want this Th- there. This thing's going to be interesting down the road, though, because if you're right, and if Modern's the only place that wants it, and most of the Dredge players pick up their <laughs> copies early, but then no one else has any need, this should get real low. And then if at one point in the future, suddenly you need three or four of these in some similar style deck in Pioneer, um, three or four of yeah. Mythic that's been bulk could be a real hit down the road. Yeah. This card's powerful. It's insanely powerful. Uh, right now it has one shell. It could definitely in the future have more shells. Yeah, it looks like the right. it looks like the dredge build in modern right now with it is four blood gas, four Golgari thug, narcomebas, merchant of the veil, prized amalgam, stinkweed imp, ox is a three of a conflagrate, four cathartic reunion, two life in the loam, four creeping chill, four shriekhorn. Yeah, they're basically using loam slots for this, which I think is reasonable because as powerful as loam engines are in that deck, there's a lot of matchups, especially in the way modern has been shaping up to be a little bit faster, a little bit more linear than it has been in the past. You can't really afford to spend a bunch of time in dredge just dicking around with life from the loam. And this is uh, <laughs> a little bit more explosive, let's say. <laughs> I, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it as a dredge card, I guess, when I first saw it. Or at least when I was considering it, I was looking at it more as a standard card, not a modern card or legacy dredge card but now that like you say that and i look at it, i'm like oh oh yeah that is true it's just a better version of everything dredge wants to do isn't it yeah it I, could it could end up having some modern i mean pioneer applications as well just because of its synergy with prize amalgams i could see some way of having this card in like a dredge deck but at this point you're playing so many colors the man and pioneer is not very good like I, I, i'm pretty sus on that right now but maybe in the future all right, let's cross off a couple of nonsense cards for modern. Death Below War Cry is the one where you get to get, grab four uh, Minotaurs and put them into play. I'm guessing that's going to be Sorry. some kind of like tier 4.5 <laughs> Minotaur deck that's going to like show up in uh, uh, one and F, a three one and F and M or something. I have a question. Uh, how much mana does the card it's cost? Like seven or something. Is it seven? I think so. Or is it eight? It's eight. You're eight. It's five triple it's, red. Because 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 it's eight. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't have to say. Card's pretty silly. <laughs> All right, Storm Herald. That's the one that people are excited. That pulls. You can basically pull an Eldrazi conscription out of your graveyard and go to town. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, this is this is the kind of like hyperlinear. Uh, God, I hope this works kind of stuff in yeah. modern. And, that, just, and, it, and if you have never uh, done it in your deck, it's never going to get there, et cetera, et cetera. As a competitive player, I am interested in trying to win. Stormhelds are 50 cents. I could see it <laughs> spiking way down the road on on yeah. some nonsense making camera time at some point. But for now, steer clear. 
Eidolon of Obstruction. This is an interesting Death and Taxes piece, right? Like, is there's a world where this could see Pioneer and or Modern play in humans or something. Sorry, I'm quickly looking up for the Pushmon. This was again. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe. I think this is more of a standard card. Uh, I'm not particularly excited about another format. Uh, loyalty abilities of Planeswalkers are just not really that uh, that big a thing for like a Death and Taxes deck to care about in in, in like a format like Modern. And actually, I got this wrong. It's not uh, a, it's not a human. It's a spirit. So maybe it's blue white spirits that might want yeah. it. Maybe, but like I don't know. Teferi's good against that deck, but like that's a really narrow situation for this card to be good like having it on the draw against a fairy or something and you're not gonna run four of these anyway yeah no i'm just not interested in this card i don't think it's very all good. right so let's move along to the format you're not interested in this is uh, e- <laughs> e- EDH re- uh at, at some point i'm gonna be driven into this edh one. review we'll just we'll just blow through time. these and stop on the ones we haven't already talked about uh underworld breach is a busted card Uro's a busted card perforos bronze blooded this is a sneak attack, but just for red creatures, right? Yeah. Uh, Artifact creatures as well. This card is going to do a whole bunch of work. Like, I can see this slotting into Kalia of the Vast decks and throwing dragons into play, uh, or red-white angels. Oh, yeah. I mean, it'll be great there, and it's it's an interesting commander on its own as well. Um, Mono-red isn't the most popular color, but... Mono red's secretly like the most fun color to be most fun mono color general uh, color, but I don't know if people playing EDH care about that. I just noticed that it doesn't only put red creatures in; it can also put artifacts into play. <laughs> so yes, yeah. The other thing is this could be a plant so, for Ikoria. I'm expecting like twelve, oh yeah, twelve casting cost ridiculous creatures in Ikoria, like Godzilla type stuff, and this could easily be a setup to throw some like. 1414 five keyword trampler into play that's happens to be jun colors or something well i i thought about that because it it on the surface you're like oh yeah this is like an edh type card right like uh probably way too slow for standard why would you want to play this and but it looks great in edh and then you're like oh well Oh, it's a plant for Ikoria. That's going to make this really interesting. Wow, like these creatures are going to be huge. They're going to be like Eldrazi. Now I can sneak attack them in with Perforos. But then I'm like, uh, did they really just give us sneak attack for 12 mana creatures in standard? Because it's definitely going to be good enough in standard. Like possibly too good and also difficult to interact with if it's on an indestructible creature in the first place. Uh, so it almost feels too obvious for standard if that makes sense hey remember oko <laughs> okay fair enough <laughs> all right so i had fair i had enough. but that's not fair because that means anything you say that's just gonna be like this seems too good it's gonna be like yeah but do you remember uh, oko? actually oko <laughs> huh, hold on there did you reply one guy? second did you seriously excuse just me, reply me? <laughs> excuse me all right, so, so I had Nylea's Intervention on the list here because it gets to, searches up X different lands and puts them into your hand, which there's a whole bunch of green decks and commander that want to do that. But in terms of early interest, one of the standouts in green is actually Satessan Champion. That's the 1-3 for 2 and a green. Whenever enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on Satessan Champion, and the key piece attacks, draw a card. 
So pretty much all of the Enchantress-style builds and Commander will want this card from here to Eternity. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Thassa Deep Dwelling will get some work, I would imagine, in Commander, because blinking stuff, there's all sorts of things you can blink in that format. Nyx Lotus, I'd imagine, will see some significant play as a high-powered mana rock, especially in monocolored builds. Um, yeah, that card's going to be really The Shadow cool. Spear was my pre-release foil uh, last weekend. Did some solid work. One mana for a legendary artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and has trample and lifelink. And the key text, for one, permanence your opponent's control, lose hexbrief and indestructible until end of turn, which can be very useful at certain tables. Yeah. Hey, if you're playing uh, Grand Prix New Jersey this weekend or any other limited events, just a little tip. This card is one of the best cards in the format, in limited. You like it that much, huh? I, I believe that. Yeah, it's, it might be as good as Cure of the Sea God and uh, Dream Trawler. At least in like, in, like draft. Being, be, when I was facing down two gods, being able to remove Indestructible certainly felt relevant. Yeah, it's alright. The, the, the better part is the, like... It's a, it has a pretty good rate because lifelink lets you race. Like it's just a, pr- a pretty pretty nutty card at a, good, a very good rate, and it's colorless. But I anyways, say, didn't want to derail with a filthy limited conversation. Yeah, that's that's crap. Everything back to the format of kings. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst kings format. Kings and commanders. Saffron uh, also made the good point that this is a uh, an inexpensive artifact to get lifelink on your creatures in Pioneer, something that didn't really exist already. Um, modern has Basilisk Collar, uh, but Pioneer doesn't have a lot of good options. So I'm not saying it's going to be like relevant there, but it is, I guess, an interesting observation that it kind of fills a hole that was there at the moment. According to EDH Rec, two cards that are neck and neck for most popular out of the set in EDH are Thassa's Oracle and Dryad of Elysian Grove, uh, both in 20% of the decks where they possibly could have been uh, declared in the last week or two. Um, and then, I'm not so sure about Thassa's Oracle uh, and EDH. But. <laughs> well, people are pretty big on like J- Lab Maniac and Jace, for, uh, Jace, Wielder of Mysteries, Finishers, and this adds redundancy into those. So, the... I don't get it. I don't get it. And then the other big crazy one, Nyx Bloom Ancient, everybody's aware of as a, a commander card. Tripling mana from permanence is pretty crazy. Um, I also saw an insane combo deck in Standard where this was generating, like, thousands of mana and breaking arena. Um, something about oh, Fae, nice. Fae of Wishes for... Jeez, what was it? I had it all written down, but it's, it slid out of my head. Anyway, go, go look it up. I think it was on Aliantrazi's stream, <laughs> like, a week ago. And he had three Nyx Bloom Agents in play, so every time he tapped a permanent, he got 27 mana. Sounds about right for Magic the Gathering Arena. <laughs> Fair. All right, so that that's more or less a wrap. Anything? Anybody got anything that wasn't mentioned? We talked about every card in the set, so yeah, probably not. Yeah, we've gone over literally all the cards. Destiny Spinner, Athreos, ah. Shroud Veiled will both be commander things. The two three being able to uh, creature enchantment spells you control can't be countered, and then making lands is pretty crazy uncommon. Other than that, I'm pretty good. What, what's your overall take? Do you, do you feel like this is definitely more pushed than the original Theros block, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Continuing it, continuing um, in the vein of what we've seen ever since War of the Spark. Yeah, the this intentional pushing of cards is pretty clear here. There's just a lot of cards that 
we didn't even need to go over that are just very good. Like Elspeth Conquers Death is a good card. Ephemia the Cacophony is a good card. Whether these cards like have have homes is another question, but like there's a lot of really just powerful cards in this set. Um I am not sure the play patterns are going to be as fun as I want them to be, given the egregious power level of a lot of things that's going on, like Dream Trawler for having hexproof for no good reason. But um yeah, I don't know. This seems like a pretty powerful set, all things considered. There's a lot of format. There's a lot of cards that are staples across multiple formats, which is very important for like cards from the set being worth something. If yeah. you were playing so. standard this weekend, what would you be reaching for? I have not been playing standard, so what about Pine? <laughs> I've I've been I've been way more focused on modern and Pioneer. What about lately. Pioneer? Uh uh, if I was playing Pioneer this weekend, I would play Blue White Control, but that's mostly out of preference. I, uh, I also like Black Red Mid Range and Mono Black Aggro. Were, were you surprised form. to see Mono Black Aggro survive Smuggler's Copter Ban so easily? Uh, a little surprised, but not like you know, not really surprised. <laughs> I think mean, we all knew it would be fun without it. The the recursive creatures are all so good already. And, and the core of the deck was always Thoughtseize and uh, who cares? How, right? how, it, it still has Thoughtseize and who cares? How, how much Way to throw do... that in my face. I, I was like, I don't know if Mono Black can survive without Smuggler's Copter. And Dan's like, we all knew Mono Black would survive without Smuggler's Copter. Literally everyone knew. But you, you, you <laughs> haven't heard this, Dan, but my pick earlier on the cast was Castle Lockthwain at four bucks. Um, how, how much, uh, how much yeah. of the... the success of that deck do you ascribe to that deck having access to four copies of that card uh when i was saying just like 30 seconds ago that the combination of thoughtsies and blah was going to be good i regretted immediately after saying that the combination of thoughtsies and castle lockthwin <laughs> like I, I should have said that 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 card's one of the biggest secrets to that deck's power can you see that can you see it's that so being good. a 10 to 15 dollar land in a year uh maybe yeah, why not? Sure. That's insane. Yeah, I don't, I don't see any reason why that can't be the case. All, all the castles are kind of just insane. They're basically free inclusions. You can just put them in any deck in any format forever. And uh, they are great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Castle um, Garen Brig also. is also a completely busted magic card. Yeah, I had a brick of 50 of those I picked up in Europe for a dollar. Nice. I still need to finish my set. <laughs> I'm just glad to see a set, you know, Theros Beyond Death, a set that adds powerful cards that are good in multiple formats. We've really been lacking that in Magic recently. Everything's felt so, like, one-dimensional and, like, this is only a standard set. To get a set with some real oomph behind it, you know? Yeah. I think it's cool that they're obviously that was, designing cards for multiple formats. sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool that we get to have like variety in older formats with set releases i just wish it wasn't quite so much of like a, a just a disaster <laughs> every time yeah <laughs> oh what's the matter you're telling me that uh you know this other set didn't do enough in older formats fine well we printed Yogmoth's will how about that yeah, now like now are we doing enough it's cool to have things switch up and be exciting, but <clears throat> I really would appreciate if they didn't have to ban 10 cards a year. Yeah. yeah, That's really bad for I, the game. For I, the I do worry too. that that's going to catch up with them this year, so we'll see how it goes. The uh, All yeah. right, we got 
huge thank yous to Daniel Fournier for joining us uh, once again for our set review. Uh, best of luck to Dan in his grinding for the rest of the year, and I guess we'll see him back here again probably for Ikoria. <laughs> A uh, couple of sure. things to clean up here. We got to give away a twenty-five dollar gift certificate to Cool Stuff Inc. We'll be giving that to uh, Pro Trader Discord user Clogged Nose. That's a quite the handle. And uh, I do want to give a shout out to Joshua Kwai of Command Zone who read me the Riot Act a couple weeks ago for suggesting that I think in my my, my phrasing was something like the Command Zone such and such before they were the quote-unquote Prop- propaganda arm of Wizards of the Coast, which Josh took <laughs> issue with because it, it sort of suggests that they're they're misleading people in their content, which is certainly not my intent. It was more along the lines of you can generally expect them to be dealing with whatever the latest and greatest is because their content is aligned with the product release schedule. So it doesn't necessarily, they don't necessarily have as many opportunities in their current content schedule to talk about topics that are not aligned with the marketing um but i mean i think they make fantastic content and you know nobody in mtg finance is going to complain when command zone sets sets a a card up for success um there was quite a few good ones on their video this week that people should probably go check out so don't worry josh we still love you um where can people find you guys online uh, you can find me on Twitter. I recommend not finding me on Twitter, however, and instead <laughs> finding me on magic.facetofacegames.com where you can keep up with my wonderful magic content. Also, vote for Bernie Sanders. Okay. <laughs> I, and I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, I do this cast, obviously, not writing for the site anymore, so mostly just here in Twitter. And as somebody with a vote in this country, unlike the <laughs> both of you... <laughs> I love doing election interference. Yeah, Canadian, in Canadians interference. Uh, hey, you should vote, vote for that, that. I also Bernie want Sanders you to vote guy. for Bernie Sanders. You guys can find me on Twitter at MGG oh, Critic, yeah. as well as via my weekly articles. Well, not really weekly anymore, more like monthly if we're lucky. Articles on <laughs> MGGPrice.com. But I am constantly haunting the Pro Trader Discord, where there's tons of action. I also like to remind our listeners to check out Pro Trader Service overall. For just $1.50 a week, $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering, including Travis. I'm not sure if you saw this, but we started a new channel called Best Ideas. And Best Ideas is full of something like one to five actionable items per day, Cards you should buy, cards you should sell, arbitrage opportunities, intel, um, neatly packaged for those of our members who don't have a ton of time and would just like to pop into the Discord, get you know the best of the best of what's going on and, and move on along. So if you're a pro trader who has trouble keeping up with the sometimes hundreds of posts per day in our Discord, uh, do go take a look at that. Maybe that'll be helpful. Uh, I did know about that because you messaged me and asked me to post in it. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it's one way to get there. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number five, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast, uh, which brings us to the end of episode 203. 
Um, as always, a great time. Thank you so much, Daniel. And thanks so much, James. Uh, and we will see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. 